Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Welcome to another edition. And I can honestly say this is, I feel like this is my best podcast yet. It's a great guest. We were teammates 14 years ago. Now he's a police officer with the Sacramento Police Department. We talk about justice. We talk about situations that are going on. And you're going to get to hear it from a police officer's standpoint and point of view. What he says we need to do better at as a people, what he feels is right and wrong on both sides. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Enjoy. Today's guest is from Detroit, Michigan, and went to the University of Idaho as a vandal defensive back, kick returner, before heading north to the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions of the CFL. He's a two-time Grey Cup champ, and now he is a police officer in Sacramento, California. Welcome to the show, J.R. Ruffin. What's up, brother? Hey, how's it going? Nothing much, man. I'm over here chilling. How's it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just hanging out, enjoying uh, the day, the start of the day. Um, tomorrow's a holiday here. Is it a holiday there? Uh, I don't really be looking into the holidays like that, but I don't think it is. How's it going? I don't even. Go ahead, Nick. I don't even remember getting kicked out already. I don't even right. remember U.S. holidays like that because I've been in Canada so long. And that, I think that was the problem with me, like because uh, I've been out here when I was in Canada, like I didn't even celebrate a lot of holidays. So going with those, so now when I get to the U.S. holidays, it'd be, shit, I, I don't even be knowing. And most people don't even be celebrating like that, you know, where I'm at, because if my family's not here, so I don't get to celebrate them. So I don't even look into them and see what they are. Yeah. And That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, your birthday just passed last week, huh? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Turned 38. Welcome to the club. 38. Yeah, buddy. I'm in there now. <laughs> the 82 club. <laughs> right, right. So you were, you were just sitting in the church, right? Yeah, I was sitting in the church, but I guess because of the COVID stuff, he was saying, like, they don't, you know, they, they can't allow people, it's against the rules. And I knew that, but the lady wasn't there, so I just went away from her. I said, okay, I'll leave. I didn't want to cause no trouble. So I come to the front of it. You can't cause no trouble. You the police. Right. That's why I didn't want, that's, that's what I didn't <laughs> want to do. I didn't want to bring that up. I didn't want to bring that up to him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's crazy, like, you think of a situation like that, and somebody says, "Hey, I'm going to call the police," and you're like, "Well, I am the police." Has that ever happened? Right. Has that ever happened to yeah. you? Yeah, it happened over there. That's how they knew I was the police at one point, and um, and she was like, "Oh, okay, well, you can work. Well, you can stay here then." So I was like, "Okay, cool." And then she explained to me, you know, why, you know, with the COVID-19 and all the extra stuff, she explained to me all that, and I said, "Okay, I understand that." I said, "Well, I got a bunch of hand sanitizer. I got hand sanitizer wipes. I got all that stuff." I was like, so I'm going to disinfect everything because it's just going to be me and my son here. And yeah. I said, uh, so that should make everything clear for us. And y'all should know that we're clear. And she said it was okay. Um, so this guy, I didn't know who that guy was. So I was like, yeah, hey, I just go on and feel like talking to him about it. Okay. So what does the yeah. JR stand for? Uh, the JR came a long time ago when I was like seven years old. So my first name is Jerron and my last name is Ruffin. And uh, in Detroit, we got the police athletic league. That's where everybody played football, track, basketball, all that stuff, right? So I ran track and played football. So some of them coaches are, was either police officers or they was teachers. 
So uh, some of them teachers was in my, was happened to be one of my teachers. One of them was my teacher. So he knew I was JR. Everybody called me JR from football because that's where the name came from because it was my first and last name. I was putting JR on all my papers. I wouldn't put no last name. I just put JR, JR. So the teacher kept putting Ruffin at the end of it. And then that's how I kind of switched to JR Ruffin because he kept saying, you got to put your last name on your papers because I figured everybody knew me from JR. So I'd be straight. So it's Jerron Ruffin Ruffin. Right, basically. <laughs> or, 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 as they, or, as they, or as they used to say, Jerron the Rocket Ruffin, you know, because of my speed. So, yeah. Yeah. Roscoe. Or that they used to say that too. <laughs> so, so you used to do a great impression of Roscoe. You still got it? I don't think I still got it. Now I haven't done it in so long. You know what I'm saying? And then my voice kind of matured now, so I don't got. The- <laughs> <laughs> I remember the rookie show, man, when you pulled out yeah. the Roscoe and, yep, and everything. I and that. Then yep. you hosted the That's- next couple rookie shows. Yeah, you know what? That's because uh, at that point, I thought I was going to end up being an actor as well. So I used to always work on my impersonations and always work on my stand-up comedy stuff. And uh, I thought that that was going to be my – I thought football was going to get me there, you know, and then the injuries kind of happened. And then, you know, you start leaving stuff alone because you got to focus on rehab and stuff. But, yeah, I used to want to be an actor and a comedian, like, you know what I'm saying, my whole life. Well, you are in California. I mean, anything is possible. Right. You you meet the right person. Right. You meet the right yeah. person, anything can happen, man. But yeah. when you when you look back and you think on it, like in those comedy days, how many impersonations did you have and what was your what was your favorite ones to do? Uh I think I probably I don't know, because it used to, it, it it used to vary by people. So I had a bunch depending on who I met, you know what I'm saying? Cause what I would do is I would meet I would meet a person and if I thought they did like say for example somebody did something funny like say for example um Copeland did something funny um and people thought it was funny so I would work on his whatever he did I would work on that over and over until I had it like he was like damn damn Nick goddamn like you, know what <laughs> so you would work on you would just keep working on that voice imitating every time I see him and I hear him talk I was I would I would see how his lips moving and see how he's sounding out words and I would try to imitate his words. So anytime that thing happened, it would sound just like him. And uh, that's what I was doing. I thought that was cool. So I had a bunch of uh, – I used to have, like, Coach Higgins. I used to have um, Coach Burks. I used to have Copeland, of course. <laughs> you ever had mine? Huh? I would, you ever had mine? I, didn't, I, I, never got, I never got to. Um, I never got to. I wish I would have got Rambo because Rambo, <laughs> he was funny too. <laughs> I never got that guy. I never got him. Uh, but yeah, I used to have I used to have a bunch uh, back then, you know, from people that I met. Like I used to, I used to get guys from junior college and stuff, and some of them coaches as well. But yeah, that's awesome. Cause I think yeah, back to it, man. That's in those days, it was so much fun. We were all young. I mean, yeah, yeah. Two thousand six, we were twenty four. Right, that like was twenty three, turning twenty four during the during right. the season. Right, so. To go back and think about you doing all those impersonations of people, mm-hmm. that's pretty talented, man. That takes skill to, yeah. to impersonate people. Yeah. You know who the best one was? Uh, Mark Licks. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I, used to I, I can't get him right now because I haven't heard him talking in a while, but I used, to, I used to get that guy. I used to get him. He used to hate me. He came, he came at the practice one day, was like, Ruffin, if you keep doing this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to you, something, whatever he was saying. Uh, even though I probably would have whooped him, but hey, he, 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 he was, yeah, he's like, hey, like, what are you doing, man? Come over this way. <laughs> he, he just, he just, 
if you, hey, you keep impersonating me, man, I'm going to catch you after practice. I'm, I'll take your helmet and put it up there with the Phantom. Stuff like that. Like, man, you know, get out of here. That is MC right there. Yeah, that boy was so funny, dog. He had me, yeah, I used, I used to love doing him. He, he's the one I had the, because he was, because he was funny. Everybody looked at him as a joke anyways. And then, uh, you know, because the stuff he was doing. So when, once I got his voice down, that was like the king. That was the main one to go to. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Dude, you yeah, hit it pretty man. good. You hit that yeah, pretty yeah. good. I, yeah, I used to have him real good. I used to have him down real good. I think you should try the Roscoe real quick. I think I, I ain't seen it in a while. <laughs> I don't think I can do the Roscoe. I, I, cause I, like I said, I would have to see it. I would have to. <laughs> I, would have to I would have to. Like if I would have prepped for it yesterday, I could have went over it and, and and got it. But now I didn't. I don't. I didn't hear his voice in so long. I don't even have his voice in my head to get. Yeah. Yep. You're um. You had an injury. Yeah. You know, you we'll talk about your football injuries uh in a little bit, but um when did you have your what happened? If you can explain what happened. Um, from from the the one that from in uh with the Calgary St. Peters? No, right now that you're going through oh, and you're coming back from. Oh, the one I'm coming back from now, um we had a I had a, a situation where I had uh we had to basically it was a guy they say he was resisting arrest. He was on a bike. He was riding, trying to ride away and get away from the cops. Um, so I guess he had some mental problems, maybe. Um, but kind of find out he was strung out on like meth or some. He probably got a bad batch of drugs or something like that. But anyways, we pull up on him and we see him, and uh, we get to walking towards him. And as we walking towards him, he's backing up. And they said he had like a, a pole or like a, a knife or something. They said he had a weapon with him, so we didn't know what he had. So. Um, we had to go uh, apprehend him and grab him and do stuff. So at one point, I was one of them ones closer after, you know, after a little battle to get him, I ended up grabbing him. And as we grabbed him, we took him to the ground. So we was going to try to hold him until the, um, the ambulance came and, or the fire come because we knew something was going on with him anyway. Plus, he was pulling out, like, the prongs from, like, the taser gun. And um, he just wouldn't stop. He kept fighting, trying to get away and do stuff. So I was holding him down. As I was holding him down, I had his, like, leg, like, the finger, finger for a leg lock. Is like a little technique we learned yeah. in the academy to hold somebody. So without his hips, he can't really move. So we took his hips away as I had him on the ground pin. So, but the thing about police officers um, is every time something happens, like when they say, hey, you know, be hands on or somebody call the code through or they do something, everybody runs to it and people don't really get what's going on. So everybody be wondering like why cops be running in there, like what the heck going on is because they don't get why they needed to code three. Yeah, they just, know they just hear that, they just know it's a code three. That's it. So they like That's understanding oh, right there. Yeah. So they run over there. They don't know if this guy got a gun, a knife. They don't know what he's doing on the ground. So everybody runs over there to help. But I'm pinning them. You know how you got one knee down and one leg straight for balance? Yeah. Well, I had one knee on the ground as I held him. The other leg was off for balance. But as these guys are run up to help and jump in and stuff, one of them trip over somebody else's leg and he fall right on my leg sideways. And broke so it. Kind of, so yeah, broke my uh, broke my ankle and uh, tore my uh, meniscus in my knee. Damn. Yeah, buddy. How long ago was that? That happened December 26, 2019. And day after Christmas. Yeah, yeah, day after Christmas. And then I've been, uh, my surgery was, um, my surgery on my ankle was uh, February 28th. Surgery on my knee was uh, March 18th. So you just been rehabbing this whole time to get back to it? Mm -hmm. and, rehabbing, um... studying, reading no reports, uh, trying to make sure, you know, you don't forget stuff. And then stuff changes a lot. Um, so like, you know, you get new policies because certain stuff happened. Like say, for example, after that incident, they changed the rule for using this taser. So now you got to go study and stuff and take another class on that. So I've been trying to knock out the classes and all the online classes and 
uh, make sure I stay fresh on my reports because uh, them reports are every day. So you got to be up on your report, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had to chase someone? Oh, yeah, I chased somebody. Uh, I chased two people, actually. Um, didn't How go long well did it take to catch them? Uh, the kid, the one, the little 16 year old, it took, it took probably like, uh, probably like two minutes to catch him. Cause he was, he was already 200 yards away. He was across the street. He was 200 and, uh, yards away and you caught him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I oh, got him. Boy. And, and that was a challenge. <laughs> and that was a challenge. My partner, my partner said he never lost a, uh, a, he never lost a foot pursuit. He always made it to the suspect first. And he was like, he'd been waiting on me. Cause everybody knew about my track and football background. So when it happened, we probably shouldn't even chase this kid because he was so far away. But he was like, I bet you can't get it from here. And I was like, yeah, I can. And he was like, you can't get it from here. And I was like, I bet you I can. I said, when the traffic, I said, if he, I said, if he's still there when, when both sides of traffic clear, I sprint across that street and I go get him. That And God was like, I guess God wanted to see this one too because he opened up both. It was busy. It was, <laughs> it was a busy lane, but he opened up that both lanes and I took off on that little boy and I, I caught him. And I think when he went around that corner, he probably didn't think I was coming as fast as I was because I started off kind of like jogging. And I really wasn't jogging to because um, I, um, because that was a strategy, but I knew that I needed to warm up my legs first. Yeah. So I started off jogging. And I said, when he turned that corner, I'm going to go full, full speed. So when he turned that corner, he couldn't see me. That's when I went full, full speed. So he probably was still at his same pace. Didn't know I was going to be as fast as I was. And then he turned around. And I was right there. And uh, he tried to run a little bit more, but he knew he wasn't going right in. It was over. And I had got him. And then uh, that other guy said that we tackled to the, uh, that we had to take to the ground. He tried to run, and I had sprinted up. And then I sprinted up so fast on him. He, had, he just turned around and stopped. And then he just started backing up with his fists up. But yeah, people ain't gonna uh, get too far away. I had a, I had one challenge. Um, one of the another kid wanted to run, and uh, my superior told me not to. But I said, well, let him go, uh, just so I can show him I can get him. Like he's not gonna get far. <laughs> and my superior was like, nah. He was like, not right now, not right now. And I was like, okay. And I said, you lucked up because I was gonna let you go, just so I can go get you. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? And they didn't let me do it. You like the black man tracker. Without yep. the horse, you just go right. track people down, <laughs> just, go, just run them yeah, down. Just go get, yeah, just go get them. Yeah, I never, I never stopped training um, for my speed. Like that was like one thing everybody used to always tell me. Like uh, you probably wouldn't be this or that if you didn't have speed. So I just kept working on my speed. If you remember in '06 when I first got there, that was kind of upset with me because every day after practice, I would go over to the, uh, the track and do my track, uh, my track practice. So yeah. I thought I was still going to make the Olympics. I was like, well, I'm going to go try to make the Olympics in like the four by four or the four by one, like make one of the relay teams. So I just kept training for my speed because I knew I never had a fair shake at track because I always had track and football and football yeah. always came first. So I never could get the speed that I needed to for track because I always had to gain weight or do power lift and stuff for football. But if I had, if I hadn't have done that, if you look at like some of my fast track times, like a 10, two or 10, three, like I was running that stuff with like twisted ankles or being banged up from football. So I could have probably got way faster because that that's not a fast track time for like the world class guys, but it, cause then my after top football times, and during the season yeah. and after the season, that's, yeah, that's, that's world-class speed though. Yeah. So I never had it. Right. So I was always trying my best. Like I'm gonna get in track. I'm gonna get in there. And it just, Injury started coming and stuff like that, and it just kept taking me further and further away, and it just was pissing me off. But I was giving, but that was my thing, man. Running was my thing, so I used it for that for my cop stuff, and it, it worked like a charm. Yeah. yeah. When do you feel like you're gonna be able to get back to the job? To be perfectly honest with you, I think I can go back to the job now, but because I still have, you know, when you when you play football, you play with injury so much, you immune to it. You're like, I can play with that pain. 
But yeah. the doctors don't want to hear that pain. They're like, oh, you still got a clicking right here, or you still got this right here, or your ankle's still broken right here. And I'm like, okay, well, I've been doing jumping jacks, or I've been doing double unders, or I've been running two or three miles. They don't, you know, with pain, they're like, yeah, but, you know, we don't, you know, we don't, I guess they're not pushing for that, basically, because I got hurt on the job. So I guess they want you to heal up. And because in my head, I'm like, what if I never heal up? Would you want me to stay off the whole time? I got to see what I can do with, with the pain that I got and how I'm going to manage it. So I can go now, but they're not going to let me go now. I tried to get restrictions lifted, and, you know, they just didn't let me, you know, so. When did you, you first want to become a cop? Like, is that something you want to do since you were a kid? And you yeah. talked about the people around you earlier when you first started right. out were cops and, and teachers and stuff. Was that an influence? Yes, I even got papers when I was in like the second or third grade and they said, which one be when you uh, when you grew up? And I put police officer or a football player. And uh, no, I said, go to the NFL or police officer. Um, so I had that. I had... Um, I wanted to do this because that pal league, them, them guys was always over there. They was all, we knew them our whole life. They live around the corner. They around the block. You know them from sports. And they used to always talk like, if you don't do this and don't do that, go be a police officer. It's a good career. It's a good career. So even then you didn't know it, but I always wanted to be one because I thought they was the cool guys. They had the big trucks. They had the nice tires. They like, those guys was like, you know, guys that looked out for us. Even when I was getting in trouble a lot, I used to have a problem fighting. And even when I used to get in trouble a lot, them guys was the ones who made sure I didn't get like suspended from school or that I didn't, you know, or that my parents didn't really find out about it. So they would discipline me their own way because they knew I was good in sports. So I just thought that was cool. And I said, one day, if I didn't make it pro in football, I would have wanted to do that for the, for the uh, younger kids too. Because I think looking at a cop as, you know, when you look at it, when you respect a cop, most people look at them as like punks or uh, sambos or something like that. But when you get one that you respect and he is tough and he is cool and he did play some kind of sport or something like that, you now you look at him as somebody that you can that you might want to uh, you know mimic and be like. So I wanted to, since I was a kid, like seven or eight, I knew I was going to be a cop. It kind of went away, of course. You know, you know, you're going to play a football and track and stuff like that. It kind of goes away, and then you go back to visit, and then one of them say, "Hey, you still owe me." I'm like, oh, you what? Like, you got to join that force if you're done playing football. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna be a coach. And they're like, well, why don't you join the force first and then be a coach? And I'm yeah. like, uh, all right. So after I left back from Saskatchewan because I had did I had been, I was a guest coach up there two years. And then I came back, and I was still trying to get into coaching, but then it was it was kind of hard. And then I was like, uh, my, I kept thinking about it. I'm like, man, let me go do the football thing. I mean, let me go be the cop thing first, and that probably helped me open more doors uh, because it's to me it felt backwards. I was like, if I become a coach, I probably can't be a cop. But if I become a cop, I can be a coach. Yeah. So I went. So I went that route. So I said, let me finish up my cop stuff first, and then I'll go uh, coach at like a high school or a junior college or something like that. So you mentioned uh, Sambo, and I mean, and I think in the black community, we understand that as like Uncle Tom and uh, House, you know. Before before we say the Uncle Tom, before we say the Uncle Tom thing, people uh, people need to understand something about the Uncle Tom is that that name was switched yeah. because the Uncle Tom was really a black man who was helping out the other black people to make sure they didn't get in trouble and do stuff. And he, he wasn't the one that was snitching and doing that. And that was a sambo. So when people say Uncle Tom, they don't know the history of what they're saying. They're just following trends of stuff. So the Uncle Tom wasn't the one who was doing the bad stuff. It was sambo. Uncle Tom was actually the one who was helping and trying to uh, help the slaves out. Yeah. But you mentioned that sambo. And uh, you get a lot of flack for being a black police officer. Uh, yeah. From, and, and does it come from the black community? Where does it come from? It, you know what's funny? It always comes from the black community uh, because um, the white community's not gonna say that to you uh, because it won't it won't hold no weight with them. 
it only holds weight with a black person because they always feel that you're selling them out. And I, mm. and that's what I kind of tell them. I'm not, I didn't sell you out because I have a career. This is my career. Your career is, I guess, getting in trouble. You know what I'm saying? My career is to stop people from getting in trouble or to protect other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm like, let, I, so I, I didn't sell nobody out. I, I'm not that because I'm doing this job. You know what I'm saying? I don't, but I can, I don't believe in a lot of Right is right, wrong is wrong. If somebody I, and and I had to step in twice and and pull another guy away from uh from uh like off of a suspect or a person of interest or something because they were you know doing stuff a little hard. Or I stepped in and said I got them, you know, saying I had to do stuff because I'm not gonna let nobody do that whether they doing that to a, a black kid or a white kid. It don't matter to me. If you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, then I'm like the minute another officer say I'm starting to get mad or he get to start yelling and doing stuff. That's when another officer should step in anyway and say, to, okay, to I got it. it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. You know what I mean? And that's what I did to, on two of my occasions. And I'm and I'm fresh on these people who had like 15 to 20 years in. So, uh, you know, like I told one of the officers, well, I might be new to being a police officer. Oh, but I'm still grown. You know what I'm saying? I'm 37 yeah. years old. I've been through way more stuff than you probably been through. And you an officer. So yeah, I'm gonna step in because I know to do that. And it, and it kind of like my officer thing kind of came off at that point. It was kind of like, it's, it's, it's people now. Like, wait a minute, bro. You ain't about to be a bully. You know what I'm saying? I got yeah. it. So it kind of went like that. So I think that's where I, uh, I'm a little bit different from other people at. Even when, I, even when I talk to kids or when I walk up to people, I tell them from the beginning, I say, hey, listen, you know what I'm saying? When these cameras turn off, I'm still a person. So I can talk to you like a person, right? And they say, yeah. And I say, well, from now on, when you get approached by an officer, you just say, hey, am I being detained? And if they say, yeah, then you can ask for what? If they say no, if you don't want to talk, say, I don't want to talk and walk away. It's not a crime to walk away or run away from a cop when you're not being detained. And a lot of people don't even know that. Yeah. They, say, oh, I can, they say, oh, I can just run. What if you come chase me? I said, well, then he's wrong because he already said you're not being detained. So once you ask, once they, once they pull you over and walk up to you or do anything and you didn't do nothing, you say, what am I, am I being detained? If they say no, you, got to, you, you can walk away. You can do what you want to do then because they yeah. can't hold you there. And I try and tell them that don't, you know, even when they hit you with open-ended, you know, conversations, you need to watch what you say because the words you use can get you um, detained. You can just say, oh, I came from around the corner, but they know that's a blood area, you know, yeah. or gang, a gang area. Now they got you because it's like, they okay, have you come over there. Yeah, so you uh, got to be smart. Yeah, you got to be Exactly. So yeah. I just try to educate people as being a black, because I know the first thing going to do is call me a sambo. So I try to educate and say, listen, you just met me, I just met you. I don't know if you're a criminal or not. You don't know if I'm an a-hole cop or not. We're going to give each other a chance, though. And they say, okay, cool. And when I, when you start like that, they can't help but to, you know, because they're going to see I'm a cool person. So they, they, they can't help but to give me respect. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't, I don't see why – see, me personally, I don't see why people would want less black cops. I think we need to have more black cops, right? Yeah. And I think that because that's what needs to patrol – more of those black areas because you've been in you've been in them and, exactly and i believe there's a lot of um white cops that are really good cops and i mm -hmm. think there's a lot of cops that maybe have never really been around black people or mexicans or yeah. asians and yeah. um the movies you know if all i've seen the black people is boys in the hood and minister society or any pretty much movie that depicts black people as, as robbing and, you know, killing and different things like that. And then I hear what my parents said. And now I go into these communities. Yes, I'm frightened. Mm-hmm. Right? You know what's funny? You know what's funny about that? Um, I went around, uh, I was in a gang area 
and a bunch of the, a bunch of people was out and they were, you know, doing, you know, however it was going on. And I didn't have a gun out. I didn't have a weapon out. I was talking to these people and this guy's moving, moving his hands and doing all this stuff. And, you know, other, other officers was, Hey, stop moving, stop moving. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know? And they had the hair in their gun and stuff like that. And they asked me like, was I ready? And I said, well, for who? And they like, for them people. And I'm like, well, nah. I'm like, he was, uh, I say, black people talk with their hands. Like, when they get to talking, they get to moving. I said, so that, that, I said, that didn't scare me. And then there was another incident when I was around uh, the, uh, the Caucasian group. And this guy is, like, moving and he's swerving and doing stuff. And now I got my hand on my weapon. because, And they're like, well, what are you so nervous about? And I'm like, because that's the difference between me being around blacks my whole life. Me, I haven't been around the Caucasians like that. So, yeah. to me, I thought he had a knife or something. Or he was looking to, you know, to do something because of the way he was ways. acting. Yeah, so it can go both ways because I'd be way more comfortable in the black community when they're doing their little stuff, and I was way less uh, comfortable in the in the white community when when he was on his meth and he was moving around. I was like, he gonna do something. I thought he was gonna do something. So it can go both ways. Little do they know. You know what I mean? Because we know how to handle our own people, and just what you said. If it was like, if it was more black people patrol, not that the white people can't do it, or not that blacks can't patrol in the white neighborhoods, but I think because. Because we understand them a little bit more, we're, we're less frightened. A lot of officers be frightened, like, oh, I thought he was going to do this. Yeah. Black people, we're, we're, we're ready to go hands-on. And hands-on will eliminate a lot of the gun battles. Yeah. You know how much, A lot of it. How much cultural or sensitivity training do you guys get? We actually get a lot because it's, it's, it's nonstop. Um, every year, something changes. Every six months, something changes. So... It's up to that. Once you pass training phase, it's up to that officer to keep going to them classes, though. Oh, so it's, know, it's on your individual merit to go and continue to work your craft, basically, to take mm -hmm. the training. Like, once you're, right. once you're an officer, you don't have to do it, but it's, it's there for you to do it. Is that what you're yes. saying? Some, some things are mandatory. Some things are not. Okay. So, uh, like, like, say, for example, some of those classes, the class in general would be mandatory. So you have to do that one class, but it might be three or four hours, right? Yeah. Life is worth more than three or four hours. So after that three or four hours, it might be other classes or on a computer uh, learning that you have to do online learning. And now it's up to you to go do that as well. Now, some of these you can keep going to. They're going to put up more bulletins, more things saying, hey, you guys can come here and, and go take this course or this class. But it's not mandatory. A lot of people won't take the non-mandatory class. They'll wait for that one class that's mandatory, but the five that's not mandatory, they don't take those. They'll take that one, though, because they know we have to do it. So we train all the time, and then we have training available for us at all times. So you can just keep uh, you can keep training as much as you want. Like, um, we, we never stop learning. Never. Just like the, It's kind of like the gun range, right? We go to the gun range maybe yep. once a year. But you can go all the time if you want to. But they, yeah. yeah, so it's like that. So your 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 injury is kind of like the precursor to 2020, right? It was mm -hmm. your injury, then Kobe, then COVID, mm -hmm. Floyd. That's how I went. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have happened over the last seven months. Yeah. And just looking at the position you're in, and and being a police officer uh, and being a black police officer, um. What do you think about everything going on right now with the defund the police, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, even what's going on in Portland? Like, do yeah, you have any uh, thoughts about just how how can we move forward? How can we reconcile? How can what's what's best in your eyes? Um, I can't 
I'll say first of all, I say what's worse, and I think the worst thing is is the is the media and social media and, and the way people blow stuff up when they don't have the information. If yeah. you're not educated on stuff, you shouldn't just be the one leading it. You know what I'm saying? That's like that's like a, that's like Black Lives Matter being out in the middle of the street, and then somebody who don't even know what Black Lives Matter is about comes up and start cocktailing cars. Everybody else might join them, thinking that he knows, but they're following fools, right? Yeah. Some people don't even know what they're standing for, but they're just following because they're looking for an opportunity to do something. So that like that that's the that's the that's that's the crazy thing to me. The defund the police part. Some people aren't educated with that. They think defund the police means that they're about to take our salaries away or make sure, you know what I'm saying? That's not what defund the police is even talking about. They're saying, since we're not, they shouldn't be funding us this training to do uh, mental health stuff when they can have hospitals come or, or doctors Social or somebody workers. come talk to you, come do that work, right? Well, I think Albuquerque's done, doing that now. They're trying to send social workers out with a police officer to handle certain well, mental situations. And that's right. And they said certain because 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 you're gonna have to start breaking it down because yeah. it's like, what do you do to somebody who have a mental is, uh, issue that has a knife out or a gun? Do you yeah. really want a social worker to go and he don't have a knife, he don't have a gun, a weapon, and he don't have the training to really fight and, and control this person? Or do you want to train the police a little bit enough for them to talk this guy down? Because it goes away from training at one point, it turns into being human. Yeah. You gotta be a person with this guy. Listen, bro, what's going on? My girlfriend cheated on me. Your girlfriend cheated on you? That's messed up. Like, you know what I'm saying? And now you gotta be a human and talk to this person. Or, oh, my mom died two years ago. Well, you know what? My grandma died. I was close to, more close to my grandma than my mom. So I know I know the feeling. And let's just talk about it. Because some of them want to just vent, right? Yeah. So sometimes it goes away from training and just being human. And I think people aren't seeing that part of it. They think everything has to do with training. And, and everything don't have to do with training. You know what I'm saying? It has to be with being human in, in real life uh, experiences. And I think that's what's going to help. You know what I'm saying? And when we when we go away from the media and we start doing our own research, we'll understand stuff. Like some of these people, they, they like they argue over these people who are getting shot and doing stuff. And then every time you see these people moving their hands and doing something, after the officer told you, hey, I'm scared, I stop moving your hands. Leave your hands up. Quit putting your hands behind your back or quit doing this. Sometimes people have to stop doing that. Yeah. And, you know, it like it's, it's crazy that people think they still need to, that they're smarter than police. You know how many penal codes it is? It's like it's down there a million, right? So for you to know one, you know, you know the Fourth Amendment and, and, and you know one penal code, oh, you can't do this. We know 13 other penal codes that matches the one thing you know. So you can't say I can't do this because this penal code says I can or this city code says I can, this state code says I can and that's what they don't get. So they try to go off the one thing, or you can't touch me, or you can't do this, and they and they overdoing it because they saw somebody else do it. They see it on TV. They, oh, you don't have to get your ID. You don't have to get your license. Well, yes, you do. And I think that's the problem. People are not educated, and they just keep trying to go against, you know, like what they don't know. And that's 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 very very bad. Should we that's put that in bad. schooling? Should we put that um, like an education of state laws, state I mean city laws, um, yep. and then have like community relations in that as well. Yeah. Um, Cause it's better if both sides are just as educated and it's better. It makes it a lot easier for both sides. When we was talking earlier, I was like, that was my plan when I became a police officer. I wanted to teach the youth and stuff. So that's what, when I'm done with my, with my, with my training and my probation, I'm done with my part of it. I wanted to get a program where I where I go to the churches and stuff, and they have a certain day where everybody come down there and I educate them on police encounters, because it can it can save lives. And yeah, mm. it'd be way better if both sides know. If they say, "Oh yeah, he was," uh, if if the police officer say, "Hey, let me talk to you for a minute," and the guy say, 
no, you can't talk to me because clinical code this, this says, you know, you can't do this. If you don't have the probable cause or reasonable suspicion to do something, you can't do this. And that cop will know that he knows his stuff and they'll probably, you know, do the bad cops. And they'll be like, dang, well, okay, you're absolutely right. Well, can I talk to you? And the guy say no. And the officer say, okay, so we'll have a good day. Because you ever seen on the internet where an officer would be talking to a person and they'd be, it seemed like that officer trying to trick this person to saying something. And then yeah. the other person would come and say, hey, man, you, he can't do this. Where's your, where's your parent at? He's not, he can't ask. And then the officer would be like, okay, you guys have a good day and leave. Yep. That's because that guy didn't know, but the other guy did know. You see what I'm saying? So if yeah. they, they start putting that in the schools, at least just the, just the encounters, just to start off. Because that, that, that's bigger than anything, the encounter. Like how, how you happen when they first approach you. That's, going, that's more important than anything else. And if they start at least putting that in there and understanding your rights for that, it'll make it that much better. When you talk about earlier, you said you've stepped in on two, two occasions mm-hmm. when a guy gets upset or something like that to try to deescalate the, mm-hmm. the situation. How hard is it for younger cops to do that? And did football, being a professional athlete or having the confidence and just, you know, living a different life before you came a cop, you're an accomplished mm-hmm. person, right? So mm-hmm. it wasn't like you're just a 20-year-old or 22-year-old becoming a police officer right. with somebody that's been there for 15 years. Right. Like, what does it take for younger officers to have a voice? Because I've, oft- I've often said I feel like a lot of cops protect the shield more than they protect the people. Right? You ever so, Yep. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. They haven't spoken that? out about bad cops because right they're protecting the shield. Yeah. You seen um you seen that movie had like uh Terrence Howard, Ludacris, and it, it was like five or six different stories in one. Um yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the day, yeah, with the with the Sandy Shandy Newton was in it and she got yeah. in the wreck. Yeah, and, and, and the white cop felt on her and did something, yeah. and the other cop was standing there. Yeah. All right, do you remember when that cop, when, when that young rookie cop went to the went to that lieutenant or something and tried to tell? He he, he looked at him, he looked down on him like, what? No, he's a good cop. He's been here for 20 years. That's what, that's what, um, that's what people worry about. And that's what I didn't worry about, because I did see that movie. And I said, I would never be like that. I said, because I wasn't scared. You know what I mean? And it's about being scared to lose your job. And you said something earlier. You said I was successful before that. I actually said that to a cop. I said, I had two college. I, I, I said, I got, yeah, crash. That's what it was. It was crash. I said, I got two college degrees and I have other stuff going on. So if, even if I wasn't in this profession, I'll, I'll go back. And, I'm going to be successful regardless. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit there and let somebody do something that I was trained in the academy not to let happen. They already told me in my police academy, don't be afraid to step in. And we watched that movie crash in the police academy for a training course. And I was the one who was raising my hand like, that's the thing we're worried about. We're worried about going to the lieutenant or the captain saying like, hey, this guy is racist or this guy's um, using uh, his use of force is crazy or he's doing this, doing that. And then them firing us because we're new. And I'm like, that's what we worry about. And they told us in that police guy, don't be don't be scared of that. We are changing from those days. Don't be scared of that. We got body worn cameras. We got stuff. So go do it. So when I stepped in, I was a little nervous at first that it would go higher. But that same officer talked to me on the side, like, yeah, because I was, you know, I was getting high-headed at that time. Thanks for stepping in. So it didn't yeah. even go no further. You know what I'm saying? And the other time, it just, it didn't go no further either. He didn't come to me and say nothing about it, but he knew what I was doing. So he stepped back. But at both of them cases, the guys were flipping off at him, talking about him. 
threatening them, doing stuff. So they, they damn near would have been justified in if they would have gotten into a scrap with these people or did something. But I just avoided the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? I avoided the whole thing. I don't, you don't, you don't need to be a tough guy in front of me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like everybody know I'm like in my police academy, they saw me fight. They know what I was up. They know what I can do. So it seemed like, or I was a professional, professional athlete as well. So sometimes you would think people would think they got something to prove against you. You know, they want to show you that, you know, they're tough too, because they hear stories about me. Don't worry about me. You know what I'm saying? You have to just go out there and do the job and do it correctly. And that's all you need to do. I'm going to step in all the time. And I expect somebody to step in if it's me. If I'm getting hot-headed, somebody's talking about my mama, I don't know, threatening my kids, who knows? And and I might say something back or, you know, you get hot, you know, never know, you start seeing red. Somebody step in and stop me too. I shouldn't get mad at you for stepping in because we were trained to do that and we were trained to know that. So yeah. if, I, if I see somebody doing that, I know what they're doing. Because he's protecting you. Yeah, that's it. He's protecting me. And not only me, he's protecting the badge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because one bad apple will spoil a bunch, as we see. You know what I'm 10%. saying? 10%. 10% yeah, so. it will be the loudest. That's it. So that's what we be trying to. That's what I be trying to protect too. Because I know if it, if I'm there with them and I'm letting them do it, I'm just as much as a problem as anybody else. Yeah. So I'm not gonna let you hit a 16 year old or or, or or slam down a lady or do something like that while I'm right there. But I'm like, why he didn't do nothing? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, dang, I'm right there, and I'm not. It ain't gonna be on my clock. You have to do it on somebody else's clock. I have a few friends and ex teammates that are cops. Uh, BD went to college with him. Brian Davis. Larnell mm -hmm. Senegal, you know, R.J. Franklin's a police officer now. Yep, he is. Yep. Uh, yourself. Uh, did you ever do a ride along with Will Johnson when you were in Calgary? No, I didn't get to do one. Uh, that's one person who they was trying to, um, later on, I was trying to connect with him and see if he can either set me up one or get one, but I never got a chance to get one when I was done playing football up there in like 2010 or 11 or something. I was trying to find out who this guy was, but I didn't get a chance to do it. Yeah, Will's a big dude, man. He played DN. Yeah. He's, he's tied with Charleston for the most sacks in Stampede history. Oh yeah, he was killing it. You know, yeah. Carp is a Carp is a sheriff. A sheriff. Is he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Where at? Yeah. South Carolina? Uh, uh, no, I I don't think he's out there. Is he out? Is he back? No, I thought it was in Georgia somewhere. Okay. Texas, Texas or Georgia? But yeah, Carpenter. He's a he's a he's a sheriff. Yep. I had talked to him awesome. a couple times. Yeah, that's awesome. I need to I need to hit him up and and get him on. Um. What's your what's your favorite part of being a cop? Um, I got like two favorite parts. I guess the one favorite part would be hanging around with everybody, like like you know seeing people that you went to the academy with, like being around everybody because you went through so much. It's like training camp, so you yeah. like being around. You like being around that group. And I think the other time is when you um when you get to interact with them dango uh, elementary school uh, kids. <laughs> they 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 so funny. You know, they they so funny. They're going to talk smack. They're going to say stuff. And then they're going to play sports with you. But it's just, it's all in good fun. And uh, they, and they like it. And um, I think that's the that's the best. Because it takes me back. Because I'm like, damn, I remember when them cops was there and I was this little guy in, high, in uh, elementary school. So I think that's real fun to me. I what's like that. I like that the most. What's the worst part? Uh, the worst part is, um, the worst part is probably me personally. When you, when, when you see somebody, um, you know, they went down the wrong. You, like, you know, they never had a chance. Hello. They like, you'd be like, like you go to somebody's house and you, you go in the house and you see the house is terrible. It's, it's bad. They, they, they running over their parents. And then in your head, you're like, man, this kid, this kid going to be in jail. And then like a month or two later, you go to the house and you, and, and this kid getting take, taken to jail. And it was nothing you could really do to help. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like you're trying to help. And then the minute you try to help their parent or somebody intervene and make you look like the bad guy, when this kid is clearly running over you and don't have no, no like no guidance or nothing, and then 
because you just start saying like, because you know, once you get that record, it stays with you for life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I had I had stuff on my record. You know what I'm saying? And it almost cost me being a police officer. So you try to help these kids, but that'd be the worst thing when you see somebody like just like because you know anybody can say dead bodies and murders and stuff like that. Yeah. But what about when that life is lost and their um that life is lost and they're uh and they're just kids? You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't did something stupid like that. That's why me personally, I think it's more important that that if I can get into like a department where I can go help out with them gangs and stuff, but the younger generation, not the older ones, because you know they're already grown. But if you yeah. can catch them kids and they're eight or nine and they're falling behind their big cousins or brothers because they're in a the gang, if you can change their lives, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's because that's that's when it becomes sad. You'd be like, dang, he was a he could have been good in football, track, basketball, something like that, and now he just lost. You know what I mean? Just lost. Yeah, and you know I. I've said lately over the last couple of months, I said, I think police officers and teachers should be paid more. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there should be stricter guidelines and they should be weeded out uh, the bad at a higher rate. But for some, for some, it's just like some schools, you're just looking for teachers. You need teachers. Right. And you know, there's some places you just need police officers. Right. So well, the standard is always not just um one set standard all the time, right? Yeah. You but you know you know you know what though? It, it, this is a standard that I think is kind of messed up and 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 I they need to get rid of it. What they do with the police officers is this is their weeding out process. Sometimes they weed you out by they look at you and, and they go back to criminal records. Like have you been arrested? Do you got criminal records? Have you had you know you got any points taken from your license? Because it kind of sort that you're not I don't know, accountable or that you, you know, you didn't take care of business or whatever. It's like and I think social that, security almost or so. Kind yeah. of, and I think that's bull crap. Because some, some, yeah, because some people didn't, I mean, you look at me and uh, somebody who got in trouble as a youth, you know what I'm saying? That, and not because I came from, a, I didn't come from a broken home. People can think I did. But my dad was an engineer. My mom and dad was married my whole life. You know what I'm saying? And I had, uh, and I came from a family of like 11 kids. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't come from a broken home. We always had stuff. We didn't go out and steal cars and clothes because we needed to, we did it because we, you know, we was kids and kids was being kids. And people don't like this. People don't like to say that, that, that you were a kid and now you're, and now this is 20 years later and that you're different. We are different than we were three years ago. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? So don't think that I'm the same person I was when I was 16, 17, or maybe 21 years old when I got some cases going on. I'm a totally different person from those things and people don't get that. And they try to act like they do, but they don't. They don't give you the opportunity. And um, I remember I, I didn't get into like 18 different places before I got in here. And I got into Sacramento. A black guy was like, man, that stuff shouldn't hold you back. I'll talk to our background, to, you know, talk to people and figure out something. And we would try to get you in here. Like, that shouldn't be. He was in for like 20 years. He played professional baseball before. He's like, that, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't hold you back. You know what I'm saying? You haven't done nothing this long and you've been doing this. You know what I'm saying? So it's, they're going to have to find out different ways to weed people out because it's going to be hard. Because some people who are doing the stuff, they're the ones who didn't have like nothing, no, they didn't have no background. That's why they're yeah. in there. You see what I'm saying? So it's hard to weed them out. And the reason that they get into the trouble that they got into is because they've never been into no trouble. I believe that when you get it, when you got into some fights, when you get into some stuff, them the ones who don't black out as much. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Cause we used to fighting. We we're the ones who not so scared. Some of these are remember that 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 black guy that was in Wendy's um yeah uh, drive hundred percent yeah in Georgia. He took that. They, if they would have just, if they would have, when they got him on the ground, they got one hand on him and they're reaching for something. They're trying to grab a tool, right? Yeah. If they would have just had both hands on him, they could have, they could have restrained him and held him down, and his life would have been saved.
But yeah. instead, they're reaching for two. In my only to me, they're reaching for tools, and that's making him be able to move because he only got one hand on him. So yeah. now he's taking your weapons because he's scared you're gonna use them on him, and now he's running away, and then you shoot him because he has the taser. Well, if both of y'all would have just grabbed him with both hands, you wouldn't even have to worry about that. But yeah. did y'all ever wrestle in high school? Did y'all ever wrestle with your cousins or friends? Do y'all even know? You know what I'm saying? Like, what did you learn in the academy? Because you wasn't you wasn't holding him. And, and if he's like, if he's intoxicated like that and drunk and. Yeah. You, you just woke him like, up in the drive-thru window, right? So it's like he's, he's not uh-huh. physically capable of doing the things to get out if you, if you have two hands on. I, exactly. I understand that. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I believe. And, I, and so it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. You know, a lot of people – some people see him my way, some people don't. But I just look at it from, a, from, from a, like a standpoint of what happened to me before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I say I can hold somebody down with two hands way better than I can hold somebody down with one. Yeah. It just like it I mean, I don't know, it sounds simple to me. Like you can hold somebody with two hands better than one. Oh, but he was reaching, right? Well you would never be able to grab him with your other hand if you got one hand trying to grab a weapon. Yeah. Like, come on, bro. So I think that's I think that always do it for me. I, I look at stuff like that. You talked about like the academies like training camp. Is there any other similarities uh going to work for the P D and uh being a professional athlete? Yeah, having your person's back. You know, you always got your you always got your partner's back. You know what I'm saying? Um, they have a game plan before every day. You study. Uh, it'll come up on a list. You guys got this area. This stuff is going on. Just like going over film and saying like, yo, hey, Nick, uh, make sure when you're on this side, you're going to have Corey Banks. Opposed to you on this side, you're going to have Ryan Phillips. You know, stuff like that. So it's like that with us, too. We look at it. We go in there. They give us a game plan of uh, what neighborhood we're going to be patrolling and what's going on over there, what's the highs, the lows over there, what to watch out for. And uh, and that's what we, you know, so so we get it like that. And then you got your partner with you um, that you could be with all day. Like me, I used to hang with the DBs all day. So we, I had DB partners. So out here, you got people that you um, that's in your beat all the time. So you hang with them all the time or you see them all the time. So you just got their back all the time. And uh, that's that's the more similarity, like the camaraderie of it. You know what I'm saying? You see them every day. You got locker room. You got weight yeah. room workouts. They got a football team, actually. <laughs> they got all that stuff. So it's, yeah, just, just seeing the people all the time and, and, and connecting with them. And uh, that that's the similarity to it. Yeah. Working together is like it's teamwork, full time teamwork though. I started in safety in college. BD, when I talked about earlier, Brian Davis, he was on the uh, Dallas Police Department uh, football team. Yeah, so, I was know. I was gonna play on ours, but I was in training, so I probably wait for next year. Or something. <laughs> oh yeah. man, you better stop. Well, let's talk about like growing up in Detroit. You talk about a little bit about your childhood, getting in trouble, like doing those things how was growing up in Detroit and like what was the environment like around you when you were a kid I know you said your dad was an engineer so you had a good family stable family life but mm-hmm. what was the environment around you like and, and what led you to doing some of the things that you were doing uh competition I think my environment was very, uh was very competitive like my neighborhood we battled with everything whether it was boxing wrestling football basketball running um we had that, and, and it, I didn't go far from it because my dad or my, my granddad boxed in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force, and all my, my dad and his cousins and brothers did was fought and wrestled. So it led, came down to us. So when it came down to us, now when it's time for the neighborhood, it was like, oh, shoot. So we started getting our friends to box and wrestle and do stuff. And then we didn't want to be, you know, we didn't want to be like the softest people in the neighborhood. We wanted to be tougher. So we, we would go to other neighborhoods. We're going to be tougher in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. But they had the same thoughts on us. So it was going like that. And um, that's so it was just very competitive. So even when it came to like taking bikes or doing something, it was like, oh, they came over here and took our bikes. We're gonna go over there and take their bikes. Oh, they came over here and stole the car. We'll go there and steal the car, or you know, clothes or something like that. 
it just it just came competitive. Like we were doing stuff because just kids was doing it. You know, if they did it, we was gonna try and do it and do it at a higher level than them. It was it was one of them situations where it was like, whatever you go, whatever you're doing, be the best at it. You know, yeah. it was kind of like that. <laughs> so so I knew I was gonna be one of the best wrestlers in Boston. So you know, anybody from my neighborhood who I grew up with, even when my best friend Jermaine came out to Calgary, yeah. it was it was people asked him sometimes, like, yo, was JR always like he was? You know what I'm saying? He said he had multiple people come to ask, like, why was I and felt like that and Jermaine, like he nigga been like that since I met him. You see what I'm saying? And, How is Jermaine um, doing? Jermaine's doing good. He's a supervisor at Chrysler, uh, high level, um, awesome. higher level than I was when I tell was. Tell him there. I said, what's up? I'ma tell that fool. But yeah, it was just very <laughs> it was it was just very competitive, you know what I'm saying? So uh everything I did, I did it, I tried to compete with it. Um, and and that's how I was growing up, and that's how my area was. And then the area started, you know, it had um we was a typical area where, like, the guys who was doing, the older guys who was doing, like, the wrong stuff, they didn't want their their athletes doing that stuff all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They were better, you better get in the house or you better get to practice. Blah, blah, blah. So I actually had that. And uh, that, and that was good for me, even though we were still doing stuff. You know, you just you just got to stay away from them now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it was like the hook. There was the, there was, there was the gangster police. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you had to be like, hey, I, yeah, don't go around the corner because either up over there. You know what I'm saying? He don't want to see us out here after the street. Like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or we were shooting dice. Like, you don't want to be shooting dice around them because he'll come take your money. he tell you to go home. So it was like that. You know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to get in trouble in, in spite of them. And then we didn't want to let them guys down either, you know, because we knew they was, they had high hopes for us. You know what I'm saying? So we didn't want to let them guys down. They're like, man, you better go out there and, and go, go to track practice. What's your grades looking like? And they'd beat you up right there, you know what I'm saying? Not in the face of them, but they'd punch you in the arm and the leg and uh and, and go send you home sore. They, they don't want you to go through what they're going through. Yeah, and they yeah, know you can get that. out. Uh-huh. They want and they, and they they also probably had their hands out like as soon as you go make it pro, they want a Rolex. But <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable, right? That's you gotta something. come you back to your hood, baby. <laughs> yeah, you gotta come back. So you know what I'm saying? I, you know, that's how I was. What was your that was my area though. What was your favorite sport growing up? Like uh, track, track and track. Yeah, but you know you get caught gay when you walk around with little tights on and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so I was embarrassed. Shoe. Yeah, right. Clearly, right. So I was, <laughs> I, was, I was embarrassed about that jump. So I had I had to try to stay away from people. So I would go to track practice with like baggy clothes on. Then you know I, when I come home, I put all that stuff back on, whether it was sweated out or not. I put it on so when nobody see me walking with them tights on and stuff like that, compression shorts, and be laughing at you. But um, it it was track and football. Track was first, football was second. I had been running track for longer because uh, a guy across the street from me, well, a guy who grew up down the street from me, um, uh, Coach Chris, he had made it to the Olympics, and he was, like, one of the fastest guys in the state of Michigan. Like, you know, saying he made it pro. And uh, then we had Darnell, um, Darnell Hood. I mean, Darnell Hall, he also made it to the Olympics, 96 Olympics, with uh, Michael Johnson, won the gold medal in the 4x4. So we had them guys at my high school, and I grew up training under them. So I've been running track for, for a while. I wanted to go to the Olympics just like them two. Was your – was you – Think you're better, 100, 200, 400. Where you think you was best at? Um, growing up, it always been like the 60 and the one. Uh, up until I got to like uh, Idaho, and then I think Idaho I turned into like two and four because I think they found that my legs was longer, yeah. and um, so my start, so the, so the quick, you know, the quick start wasn't better for me because it was making me take short steps. That was good for the 40 and the 60, but it wasn't good for the one and the two because them little short steps run out. But in the two and the four, I can run faster. So. I think as I got older, it turned into like the two and the four. But growing up, it was always like me from like the the twenty or thirty, whatever they want to race up until like the hundred or two hundred. I was I was getting I was getting busy. I wasn't gonna lose to no football player. I might I might lose to a track runner, but I ain't gonna lose to no football player. Were you born with it, or did you develop it? 
through that hard work with those guys you just spoke of, did, did you develop uh, that speed or were you always pretty gifted with they, speed? If Coach Chris had always had speed, he said I just didn't have no um he said I didn't have no uh technique. I didn't have no I didn't have no sight for it. You know, I didn't know about oh. form, I didn't know about this. He just you can just run. And I'm like, oh, so that's why he had me in it from a young age. He, he was like, I I saw you, he saw me running from a person actually. He saw me running from like one of them like 20-year-old guys one time. Uh they said something to me. I probably said something to him, like suck my some, you know, saying called him a name and took off running. And they was chasing me. I was by like seven years old, six or seven years old, up the block. And uh, he, he saw me running from these guys, and he like, I'm going to get him on the track. So he started taking me to track practice, taking me to places. Uh, but, yeah, he said I didn't, I, I didn't have no direction with my running. I was just running. And, you know, uh, and it, where I was at, they didn't teach us form. They didn't teach us, like, ladder drill. And, like, uh, we had tires. But it wasn't, like, a lot of form stuff growing up because he said it would have took us away from our speed. Since we had natural speed, they just wanted to get our legs and stuff stronger and our wind, and our wind build up. He didn't want to start working on knee up, toe up, arm swing to go to here, to the pocket, to the eye. He didn't want to work on all that because it was it would have been too much. So I learned that as I got to uh, junior Olympics and like junior college. But um, yeah, uh, track was my thing though. That that was my favorite sport. It still is, you know, because it, it, it can take you to it can make you like one of the better athletes in any sport you play almost. Yeah. Now it's a lot of college sad. coaches, like, college coaches don't really want to recruit you unless you run track. Yeah, they'd be like, dang, he's oh he fast, and once you saw you can do something. Once you saw you can run, they start looking for positions for you. <laughs> like, hold yeah. on, wait. let's see what we can put them at. You know like Alito, Alito, where I train kids at, or I've trained kids there for a long time. Uh -huh. They put their linebackers in the four hundred, and they tell kids uh -huh. like, running track is not even about winning; it's about competing. Right. It's about going competing. Out, it's about competing, going out, and doing your best. And you see these linebackers out here running the the open quarter. Yeah. Right. How much better are they going to be to go to college? You got these 6'3", 220s. You know, you see everybody they lined up against. They're just mm -hmm. kids that are kind of skinnier and frame right. and running these quarters. But they're out there competing because it's just, yeah. they're not even worried about what time they run, really. I mean, they want to <laughs> run a good time, but it's more about right. how fast can I get around this? How can I push myself to be better? Yeah, and I think it's just such a great mentality and what track can really teach you yeah. on – because track is hard. Like, Real you think hard. about sports, like, I could be I, – I had good hands. I didn't have to be fast. Like, right. I could run good routes. I didn't have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are like, oh, I don't got a block. I can do this. But track, it's only running. And it's if you're not running. fast, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Track sucks. You know, nobody wants to go on a track and get blew out every day. Yeah, exactly. So, you better be training. And that's one thing that separated track from football was that track, you really had to be an individual. You had to, cause everybody gonna see it. See, in football, you can stand out. You see, I mean, you don't have to stand out in a in a in football. You can just be on the team. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And 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 then when your time come, you end up doing something. It's okay, he did something. But in track, you had to be that person all the time because you ain't even gonna make the the the. You know, what I'm saying everybody know what the slow he says. Everybody know if you ain't in heat one or two or however they got it lined up, they know what you are. So you out there getting dusted and doing stuff. People gonna they gonna you gonna you gonna get pointed out. And in football, yeah. it, it don't be like that. You can be sitting out there and you can be Joey Bose. You know what I'm saying? They like, you know what I mean? And you on the team, you might be on the championship team, but you really ain't that good as you think you are. You just out here. You know what I'm saying? You you fit and you fit in, but you're not good. And that, that's different from track. Can you imagine if track if track was like the CFL? Like you know how sometimes in the CFL they give a person um four or five years to get good before yeah. they get good. And, but 
if you American, you get cut that same year. Yeah. If that was like if it was like that in track, like you know what I'm saying? Like if you <laughs> no, nah, they, they gonna you gonna get you get he gonna be fast in a couple years. Like, yeah, like how many needles he gonna need? <laughs> exactly. You give three four years, he'd be just like Andrew Harris. You know what I'm saying? Like it took you you played junior ball two years and you didn't play. You know, like it took you four years to be good. Now you good. You act like you the hottest thing out there. You'd have been cut if you was American. Like. That's how, you know what I'm saying, with track, like, they, if you give somebody some time to be make the Olympics, like, listen, bro, like, just just give him a sponsorship, give him some money. We're going to train him for four years, and in four years, he's going to be the best. Like, man, you give somebody that opportunity, everybody be great. Yeah. What was the recruiting process like for you in high school? Uh, in high school, I was more recruited for track. Um, Eastern Michigan was looking at me for track. Uh, football was – I was still one of the better people on my team, but I wasn't big at all. I was 5'9", 5'8", 148 or something, and I, I could just run. I, you know, I, you know, you already know I couldn't catch that guy. I got little hands and shit. So <laughs> you got I, little feet. I, you still wore a size you know, 8? I, it, uh, then I wore a size 6 and a half, 7. Now I don't wear a size 8. <laughs> but I would – I would catch that ball and I'd take off running. It was like, well, he don't got moves, but he got like, I had that one, two, and I could take off. So like, he didn't have moves. He can just, he can just go when he go. And uh, so I, I was strictly going for more track. And then um, I had a guy named Justin Saylor, who was like ranked number one at the time going into our senior year, but he got hurt. But Michigan wanted him. And Michigan was like, well, we got to figure out a way to do something with this guy. So they wanted to send him to junior college. So his junior college, he was supposed to go, he went to Citrus and they sent some film over there with them. But on that film, it happened. It happened to have me on it, and on that, and, and it showed me return a, 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 a. I think I was at tailback one time, and I took that first play of the game. I took it like sixty. They showed one of the times. Um, I think he had caught an interception and took off running, and I like caught him and passed him up to go try to help block. It was some stuff. They, they saw me on some film and was like, "Who? Like we want, like where he at?" At the time, I was in jail. <laughs> it was like, uh, <laughs> let's see if we can get. Let's see if we can get. Let's see if we can get him out here. So they talked to my dad. My dad was like, "Yeah, you going out there?" And uh, so they, uh, when I was, I got home and stuff. I didn't get to go to prime or nothing because I told you I was in trouble a lot. So my dad was like, "Yeah, you going to California? Are you gonna go ahead and go out there?" So I went out there and I went to Citrus, and uh, that changed my life around. So I didn't get too much recruited out of there, but I did turn myself into being like one of the um, one of the number one players in in California JUCO football when I left out. You know what I'm saying? And I had I was one of the only players to have five stars. But again, I got into some trouble and I had to stay that extra year, so I couldn't go to Nebraska and I had to go to Idaho. But I was I was gonna go to Nebraska, and I ended up having to go to Idaho. And um, but yeah, I, t I turned my whole little life around, you know, as far as football goes, and, and my skill set. Because the Californians always say, "All oh, the best athletes are in Texas, California, and, and Florida." And I say, "Well, that's why they, I said that's why they brought me out here." Then <laughs> <laughs> I said that, and when I, and when I ran that four, I ran. Uh, people don't know I ran a four one one time on the track with, with my track spikes, and um. Them coaches was all – they was – first they was looking at me funny, too. Like, oh, he another one of them Detroit guys. Detroit's for basketball. He just out here just to be out here. And I ran that 4-1 on that track. Um, they started they, – they, they, they started they start reevaluating everything. Like, wait a minute, we're going to put – we're going to see if you can do something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I start and then I started making myself better. They saw, they saw the same thing I was doing at uh, Calgary when I was going to go run track every day after practice. I started doing that up there, too. That's where it started at. Um I was like, let me go, let me go run track. Let me go work on my stuff. I knew they wanted my speed. So I just worked on my speed all day. I didn't try to gain no weight. I already didn't eat meat. So I'm 140 pounds, 50 pounds, and I just worked on track, track, track. So I knew for one thing I was going to be fast. So yeah. they put me at receiver. They put me at DB. They put me at kick return. Wherever you put me at, if I had a chance to catch the ball and do something, you was going to be like, okay, he can run. And that's what I did. I just started um, – we'd be doing one-on-ones, and I'll, um, I'll be at DB. 
and I'll play real close because you know I didn't like zone. I always played man, but that was why. Because I felt that if I played super close up on you, everybody gonna think let's throw a jump ball and cool because now they just want to see us run and they gonna see me run. So everybody kept trying to throw bombs on me and the coaches would see me running to that ball and I was knocking down everything. Notice I didn't say picking off. I was knocking down everything. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, I, I made a name for myself for breaking up. I was a breakup king. I break up everything. Even if it hit my hands, I knock it down because I knew I wasn't about to catch it. So, um, yeah, and then the kick returns. They, I can't, I can't, did you ever notice I, I was always, they didn't really want me on punt return too much. They want me on kick return, though. I can catch kick return, but the punt returns. You took you know one back that you dropped. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Like, that's, that, that, was, that was the thing. I wanted everything to hit the ground first. Because <laughs> <laughs> I learned that when, when it hit the, but look, though, when it hit the ground first, it messes up people's lanes. They think the ball is going to be bounced around, so they get out their lane. So now when I pick it up, I can use my speed. Because I was the best at kick return in the CFL. If I never got hurt, I probably would have broke more records. Like, I was number two on the, C, uh, the stamps list. I was number one that season. Um, I, I had the highest average. You know, at one point, they added 10. It was supposed to be 53, but I, they put 63 because some of the reverses I gave to Marcus and West Case, they yeah. counted that because I caught it. But I would have been averaging, like, 30-plus uh, every return. And I went for, like, 1460. And – um. And I had to miss, and, and I uh, and I, and I gave a couple of my returns up. So they, uh, I was that was my thing, catching the ball and running. But they didn't want me to do punt return unless it was super deep because they knew if I muffed it or something, I still had space to pick it up and run. So I was, I was, I was killing at that. That was my thing. I said, I just, I got my speed. I knew I could play man to man because I was gonna press everybody, even though I got cussed. You could run with everybody. But I was gonna run with everybody. So I, I remember, I remember, I was, I was getting cussed out at practice one day. Back Copeland and them, cause they like, uh, can you hear me? Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, you good? Because I was talking smack about going against like Tucker and Mookie Mitchell and people like that, and they like, he like, dog, they gonna pick on you, you know, you a rookie, da da. I say, dog, they run like a four six, four five. You think I'm worried about somebody that run a four six <laughs> or a four five? And he talking about G. Ray Simon, like I'm not worried about nothing, you know, like that's what. I, I, they end up being good, and they were real good. But my 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 way of training, the way my mind was set, it didn't matter. Only thing mattered was that I knew what I can do. I didn't even have yeah. to see them play to know what to know about them. I knew what I was going to do. I knew if I pressed somebody, nobody was going to be a better athlete than me than just beat me. You know what I'm saying? You would have had to. You had to be real good and fast. And yeah. I didn't see that happening. Yeah, we're gonna get like, into that. We're gonna get into that in a little bit. Yeah, buddy. So your fastest forty time was, you say, was four one. That was on the track. On a, uh, when I came to the Calgary St. Peter's in 06, I don't know if you was there when we had to go to that um that stadium where the Bob State team was at and stuff. Yeah. Remember, because they, they was doing the field. I ran a 4.25 and a 4.26 on grass mm. with my cleats on. That was with uh, Coach Burke and Dickinson and all them people out there watching mm. and stuff. So uh, that was that day. That was um that was my fastest 40 ever on grass. Now, people always talk about fully automatic and hand time this and that and not all this stuff. What's really fully automatic, what's really legit, what's really not, who really knows. But just to be able to run that fast anyway on anybody's clock, multiple clocks. But you're a 10-2 you guy, so you, you run 10-200. Yeah. Like, you yeah. definitely got to be down there in the 4-2s, mm -hmm. mid and right, low 4-2s. Yeah. You're not running a 10-2 and, and then yeah, going yeah. back like that. Like, that's – and that's, that's the That's what I try to tell people. What's the fastest 200 times? My fastest was a 20.98. 20.9. And then what about quarter, open quarter? The, the open quarter, I think my fastest was like a 46.8 or something, a 46.9. It was just mm. – I, I, yeah, I got I got a 46. It wasn't a 47, so I was – it was close to it, but I got the 46, so I, I can claim that. Spokane, uh, Spokane Washington meet. So, so 
when you're running track in college, mm-hmm. was there ever a point where you're just like, look, if I just take this serious, I don't – you were just so dead set on being a professional football player. Why well, is that? Actually, actually no. Because, um, I, I mean, I, yes and no. I was, but it was – if you if you look at my stats in uh in Idaho, it's gonna say he played five games his junior year. So I got kicked off the team my junior year. So when I got kicked off the team, I was like, it's over for football. I better enter the draft now because I can, you know, because I'm running these fast forty times and stuff. I better enter now, and uh, you know, figure this out. So I was suspended. I started running track more. I got that's when I turned. I started getting way faster in like the quarter and. That's when I knew then that I could do something different. I was like, he ain't going to just be football because I'm not even play football no more because I'm in too much trouble. And um, so I came back my senior year, and then, you know, they, they allowed me to – we had new coaching staff. And when I got to new coaching staff, they the ones allowed me to uh, get back on the team and show what I can do. Um, so – but during that time, I had made a, a vow to myself. I said, I'm not going to lose to a, a football player. You're going to have to be a – track athlete to beat me I might lose to a football player so that's what I that's when I knew that I can be uh you know more of a more of a track guy because I thought I had to I was like it ain't gonna be no more football yeah man when you used to play with the armband on and the bandana oh yeah like prime yeah is that your favorite athlete growing up yeah I um I wanted to uh I thought I always thought Deion Sanders had. I didn't want to be like him as a player, but I I liked his I liked his swag, you know, the yeah. way he carried himself. So that's what I liked about him. He um so yeah I, I used to love that. So I thought that thing on. Thought I was proud for a minute. So coming out of Idaho, you you were running fast forty times. You had the track times that they probably knew about. Say that one more time. I said coming out of Idaho, you had the fast forty times. Oh yeah. There's the babies. And yeah, um like No, you good. And um you had the fast 40 times and you had the track speed. Mm-hmm. Did you get any NFL looks coming out of Idaho? Yep, I had yeah, I got some NFL looks. I had um stay over there, Devin. Coming out of Idaho, I had any the the coach. I had um Arizona and then was the, then was the two top ones, the coach in Arizona. Uh, that's why I thought I, was, I thought I was going to Arizona. They actually called me like um, they actually called me probably like five or six times the day be, uh, the day of the draft, the day before the draft because it was second round, and I mean uh, second day, and they called me a bunch of times that first day. Yeah. And then the second day came, they didn't call no more. They called me about no no I'm lying. They called one time about it was it was like probably like the 25th or 26th pick of the fifth round. They called me about um about under ten picks before that, and they never called again. And I never knew why. And um and when I got to the CFL, I met uh I met um Cedric Williams. Yep. And he he was like, Hey, get this agent, my agent this, my agent that, he's popular, this and that. So I got his agent. His agent asked me the same question, who was looking at you out of college? I told him. Then he went and uh, talked to some of them teams and started finding out the information. And then that's when he started finding out that, you know, they said I had character issues. Mm. That's yep. what do it. That's what does yep. it. Yep, dang, dang old coach. Um, 
and then I only and I found out about about two or three months ago. I talked to a player I haven't talked to since college. His name was Rob Bryant. He went to the Jets. Uh, um, he was telling me that yeah, coaches do do that. He said because I've been mad at this coach for a while. When I saw him, I was like, when I see him, it's gonna be some smoke. And um, he was like, yeah, but that coach has to tell all your good attributes and all your bad attributes. Yeah. He said, so you probably didn't know that. And I said, oh, okay. But the reason I didn't know is because that same coach went and told a girl that went to college to play basketball with us um, all the bad stuff. Like, she said, well, what, what happened with JR? Because he's in the CFL doing good. But, you know, why didn't he go to the NFL? What happened? And he told her all the bad stuff. They didn't like his, his character, his attitude, you know, all the fights that JR got into. And, you know, how he carried himself. They didn't, you know, they didn't like that. And I couldn't get my, I could not tell him that because it would give me a bad name when somebody else wants to go and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, so that's what he told. And I was pissed off about it, but I didn't know that he told, you know, whether he told the good and the bad. I, I was just told that most coaches tell the good and the bad. If they take the bad, and they just take the bad. Well, yeah, because, I mean, in, in all reality, it's kind of like what you do now, right? It's like, for me, even with kids going to college uh, or trying to go pro, kids call me all the time about trying to go to uh, CFL. Like, I've been talking to um, Shea Patterson. Uh, Michigan's quarterback. I've known his right. dad. I've known his dad and his uncle since he was a freshman and he committed to Arizona his freshman year in high school. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I've known them for a while and I've been talking to them and, and things. He went to Kansas city, but he already got released because of training camp stuff. And, you know, right. they got, they want with le- limited training camp. They wanted an older backup for Pat, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's like character does play a big part because what if I do have a kid that comes in here that I really need to get on a squad that's really talented, mm-hmm. but then the past two or three people I've sent there, they're like, dude, I'm not listening to this dude anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it sucks to think back to it, but it's probably better to kind of just think like, you know what? It's a great story to tell others and to tell those kids like, my my record and I'm getting better as a person but the same thing that held you back to make you go to 18 or 19 different police stations to try to get in is the same thing that kept you out of kept you out of the NFL and it sucks but I think it's a great teaching moment for for kids to let them know how the perspective like talent, right. t- talent gives you more opportunities, but mm-hmm. you know if you're super talented, like you're super fast, you you get a lot of opportunities. Right. And that's what yeah. I want to talk about next. Is you know the opportunity to come to Canada and uh, just getting to Canada. Like, what did you think? And like, have you ever watched the CFL before before you got here? What was the thought process and and going? Um, I had never. I saw the CFL on TV like one or two times. I saw Montreal because I was in Detroit. So it was, they must have been at home or somewhere playing Toronto, but I saw them playing Toronto and uh, I, they must have been in Toronto. So that was close to where I was from. So I did see one or two of them games a couple of times, but I didn't, I never thought about it. You know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. I was like, damn, it's, you know, it's football. And they said it was Montreal, you know, uh, LOS. And yeah. that was that. So when I got to colleges and all that stuff, I never thought about none of that stuff. And, um, and then when I after after college when I didn't go because I you know whatever happened uh, I did end up going as a free agent to the Raiders so I went out they picked me up around like October 
And it was like, well, we're going to, we, we'll try to bring you back and get you in NFL Europe. And I said, okay, perfect. And then uh, NFL, but when it's, when the next year, when next year came around, because uh, you remember I went to the indoor football league and all that arena stuff and all that crap. So I did good over there. So when I, um, when I finally did come back around, because I had did real good in that arena stuff, um, when I came back around, I was like, well, I, you know, this time I see I'm like, yeah, I go to the CFL. I was to do that, then go to NFL Europe. And then, um, so I go uh, right before the CFL started, like, yo, um, we want to send you to NFL Europe. And then the whole, um, if you remember the coaching staff, I got fired from the Oakland Raiders. And then the next year after, NFL Europe got canceled. Yeah. And then, so I was like, well, I was, you know, in that case, I was doing the CFL stuff. So, and then I came up there. They brought me up there. Um, when they brought me up there, I was, me personally, I was happy because it was football and it was professional football. And I just wanted to play because um, there's some stories that y'all don't know. Uh, but anyway, so I get up there and I do, and, and I go around my 40 in Dickinson and Berkeley, and they they like, oh, well, the first person who came up to me was this tall, skinny guy with some blonde hair and was like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Detroit. And he's like, duh. He's like, I never seen nobody run that fast in my life. And I'm like, thank you, sir. Thank you. And I'm, and then I'm, and I don't know who he is. Kind of find out he's Ted Heller. He's yeah. a super dango millionaire. So <laughs> I know. And I was like, uh, so then from that day forward, me and Ted was like super, super cool. He gave me his yeah. number. We always talked. And then Barker, uh, Baker, I mean, Jim Baker. And then we ended up. No, Barker. Barker. Yeah. Yeah. So then we ended up being real cool because he was there as well. And they, they just looked like this guy can fly. So from that, and then I was up there, and I started liking it from there because uh, people told me when I, as I left, like, yo, that's the owner of the team, bye bye, that's the general manager. So I'm like, oh shoot, nigga, he just gave me his number. So I'm like, well, cool. So from that, <laughs> I'm point, in. You know, yeah. So from that point, I, I, I'm loving it. I'm like, well, CFL is my spot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So then, so I came up there, and then in training camp, uh, you know, I, it, it was football, and I started seeing people. I'm saying, wait a minute, that's um, that's the kid from Kansas State that was returning all them punts and kicks. What was his name? The, uh, number 32. Uh, David uh, Allen. David Allen. I'm like, that's David Allen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know him. You know what I'm saying? I remember his name. Da, 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 this, da, da. So you start seeing stuff. You're like, well, they up here. And I thought, I just thought it was a whole new world. I said, this is a whole new world. You know what I'm saying? This is just another, another level of football. Cool. And um, so then the competition started kicking up. You know what I'm saying? And then when I saw the competition kick up, I just knew that it was professional football. And yeah. I didn't think of it no different than the NFL. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is football. And then I started trying to be the best I can be, you know, earning spots, taking spots, um, you know, scrapping my way to where I needed to be at. And then, you know, and then I end up, you know, one time I won 500 bucks from uh, Cedric Williams. Uh, he wanted to see who get the most interceptions during training camp, you know, up until that mock game. And I and I destroyed him. I beat him by like five or six interceptions. Why don't you tell him, uh -oh. to, tell him how to stay on sides, on the backside of the onside kick? I'm, I'm going to tell him after he get out of jail. Are you in jail right now? Man, he's been in jail for a while. He kept ever since he left in like 07, 08, he's been going back and forth to jail. He's been in there for a while. So always some somehow find a way to write me on Facebook, but I don't respond back because I can't be getting in trouble. Yeah. So I don't know what he wants. He's asking for money one time, <laughs> all type of stuff. I don't know. Man, that's crazy. But um, yeah, so I just I just started his to ass on side. Yeah, he would have been straight. <laughs> <laughs> he probably still been to CFL. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, I just started competing and uh, I happened. I had the opportunity to go get some of the better receivers in the league that just on my team, like you and Copeland and Rambo, and and you know, we had like the best lineup. I still believe that that lineup was like one of the coldest lineups in the CFL history. Yeah, and I, you know, I was all on the same squad. You know what I'm saying? And Rambo wasn't even good like that then. You know what I'm saying? He was good, but he wasn't like he, he wasn't the one. It was like you and Copeland. So just imagine our number three receiver was better than 
people was number ones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we had a squad, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, Copeland, Rambo, Ralph, uh, Elijah Thurman, like, we had some beats. Yeah. So, I was going to get started every day working on different people doing this and that and have – some people had moves, some people had speed, some people had hands, and I was just trying to get better. And I just – I liked it a whole lot. I liked it a whole lot. I liked it so much that when 2000 – when the end of 2006 came, Ted Heller uh, was in uh, – they was – we were trying to work on a contract, and I was supposed to be trying to go to the Buffalo Bills. And they said, if you stay here a year, uh, we'll make sure you get to Buffalo uh, the next year. But But just give us another year. And this is before I got hurt. This is two weeks before I got hurt. And I was like, okay. And they gave me a, a signing bonus. They gave me a bigger contract and all that stuff. And then I stayed. I turned down the NFL to stay in the CFL. And then I ended up getting hurt. First round playoff game against Saskatchewan. But when 2007 came, I got to play a few games and stuff like that. Only because he wanted me to have some film. People didn't know that. People thought I, get, yeah. I came back got that nine-game IR because I wanted to. I had already proved what I could do, and I knew I was good. And then, so I came back and I played a few games because I wanted to, and I was trying to get film. But I played some other games just for an ego tip. Like, yeah. I'm about to play. I'm better well, than these before guys. You get in the, before you get in 2007. Oh, yeah. Before you get in 2007. Slow down just a little bit. Well, we're going to speed up to bring it back. Right. But, you know, Ted and them set me down, too. Uh, Ted and Barker. They said 12 NFL teams want you. Um, mm-hmm. Barker was like, Tom Brady's age is my good friend. He's, he's, I've already talked to him. He said he'll take you on. We'll help you figure out the best spot for you to go uh, going into 2006, right? I was number two receiver in 2005 going into 2006. Right. And it was like, but we, we'll give you this much money to stay. It was, uh, I think I ended up making almost $120,000 more than I made the year before, right. right? So then it was just like, y'all stay, right? So I understand mm-hmm. that. And they were, they were great with that, right? As, trying, right? as far as helping you get back and, um, I mean, even David Allen, they told him, like, you know, come up here, Terrence Wilkins, come up here. Uh, once you play, um, if the NFL calls, we'll let you go. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, was you there when Oz Akeem came? Yeah. For like two weeks. He was there for like mm-hmm. two weeks. And then he went back to the NFL. But, um, yeah. but yeah, man, but let's go to this real quick. In 2008, Still to this day, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen was you coming off of not playing that season for the Western Final in the Grey Cup, guarding G. Roy Simon, 90% man, and then Ben Cahoon, 90% man. Mm-hmm. Two, two first ballot Hall of Famers, certified great players, both over 1,000 catches, both over 10,000 yards, both over 13,000 yards. Like, when you look at that and you see what these dudes have done, and now we go back to 2006, you had your injury, and then going into 2007, can you just walk us through, like, the process of 2007, the process of 2008, and how we got to the Western Final of 2008, or how we got to the Western Final of 2008? Yep. Um, so, the end of 2006, I got the injury, the dislocated kneecap. Yeah. Um, they, the doctors at the Stampeders told me that it was okay. It was a bursting sack. So it was like a bone bruise. Let me heal up and I'll be straight. 2007, so I take the whole offseason, cool. I'm going to rest up as much as I can, then start training. 2007 came and I came back. Uh, during training camp, I'm doing real good the first, like, two days of training camp. Nothing happened. It was a rainy day. That third day was a tour day. It was a rainy day. I remember like it was yesterday. And then I go home. I go back to the crib. 
I go to sleep and I wake up on my knee the size of like a cantaloupe, watermelon. I'm like, what the heck? So I went back up there and I was like, dog, something, I don't know what happened. Nothing happened. My knee's like this. They get the surgery and come to find out a piece of my patella was broke off and stuck in my meniscus. Mm. They didn't tell, they didn't see that or they didn't tell me or something didn't happen in, in their training facility, them doctors. So now I go on non-game IR. Non-game IR, um, I started trying to, they, well, they was telling me, I thought I was, I thought I was done for the season. They started telling me like, you, you can come back, blah, blah. So when they said I can come back and they kept saying like, cause even if you come back, you're buried in such and such, like you can still, as long as you're 80%, you're buried in a lot of people, this, your speed is just here. So I'm like, okay, cool. And I don't know if they was truthful or not, or they just wanted me to start working harder, but I started working harder. I started working two a days. If y'all remember, I was coming two or three times a day doing all mm -hmm. that stuff. I was, I, I was trying to get myself together. So the nine game, our, uh, the nine game thing is over and I go back and I start playing. So I started playing, I play a few games and then that's when the calls start coming back in. Like, Hey, you know, if you go, if you're trying to go to the NFL, you know, you don't want to get hurt again. You might want to, you know, sit around that and all this crap. Okay, cool. So it took me off. Not because I wanted to, I was only supposed to play three games. I ended up playing six or seven and it kept saying like, no. So at one point, um, what happened, the, the starter broke the camel's back with Cedric Williams again. We was going to get Saskatchewan. It was a home game. And um, I, I was starting over him. Everything, if you ever see me walk, I walk on my toes anyway. Yeah. Every, everything I do, he's right there next to the coaches saying that, oh, JR's limping, JR's hurt. Hey, don't let him see you hurting. Dada. Just yelling and saying negative stuff to make the coaches think that I'm hurt or something. So at one point, DJ Flick, I think, caught a pass, and I missed the tackle, and Trey hit him, and he fumbled. And we still recovered it, I think. But um, after that play, they called me to the side, and I was like, hey, Jim Barker came down or wherever he, from wherever he was at, and he said, hey, uh, you know, you're done. And I said, I'm done for what? Like this, and to be perfectly honest on my mom, this was the best I had been feeling out of all the other five or six games. So I didn't know why they were taking me out, and I was feeling good. I was out there going. I was like, return a couple of kicks. I was straight. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to roll. They took me out. I never played again. And uh, after that that game, I caught Cedric in the locker room or going to the locker room outside of it or something. And I was and, and I was about to destroy him. And they stopped me. And then it was like, yeah, you got, you know, you, you're done. You got other stuff to worry about. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, some teams still contact you. Buffalo still wants you, blah, blah, blah. So after 2007, um, after 2007, so uh, after I was stopped playing for them wrestling them games, you know, because then Cedric went off size and Saskatchewan and all that crap. Yeah. So after after so I, I'm I'm working out harder. I started gaining weight, uh, trying to get myself trying to get an NFL body so I can pass a look test. And then I go to Buffalo, um, the Buffalo Bills, uh, uh, January, uh, January of 2000 and what 2008 Eight. now. Yeah. yeah. So I go to Buffalo Bills and uh. I'm, I did good. I ran a 4-3. I, I, I do all my stuff good, but they said I was limping when I ran. It's, first of all, they said they expect me to run a 4-2. Then they said I must not be fully recovered because I was limping when I ran. And I said, well, I always run with a limp. You know what I'm saying? That's, I walk like this. Like, this is this is the thing. And they always – people always looked at that. So they was like, well, you finish this stuff up and get everything straight, and then we'll, you know, we'll try to see if we can figure something out for you. You know, have, bring you in, do practice, uh, practice squad or something like that. And I said, I'm not playing practice squad. I said, I can go play – I can go be a starter in the CFL and get the practice squad money, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was like, well, you might – it's like, well, you might want to do that if, uh, you know, if, if you're not – you know, because you're not healthy. And I said, well, I am healthy. Like, who else ran a 4-3 here? Like, Entran Boulay? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, the Jets kept him. And, and, and I, you know what I'm saying? He ran like 4-5 or something, 4-4 four, four or something. So, I'm like – so, I was kind of pissed off. So, I said, you know what? I'm going back to the CFL. I go back to the CFL. So, now we got a new coaching staff. 
Yeah. So a oh. day before, two days before training camp. Now I'm up there now. I come back out there early. The day they, oh, I had to have a surgery. So I did go get looked at, like they said. I had a surgery on my on my le- another surgery on my on my left knee. Those uh, my friend Larry Foot and them hooked me up with a doctor from the Detroit Lions. So Dr. Shapiro and all them. They started looking at my X-rays and said that my CFL doctors had either lied to me or didn't know what they were doing. They said this piece was broken off from this first DVD and it was sticking right here. And we see it right here. We don't know why they didn't tell you this. This is where all the kids, you probably heard about this later on in life. Yeah. They was talking about I was trying to sue the CFL and all this crap. So this is why they lied to me or they didn't see it and told me that nothing, nothing stuff was wrong. But when I showed the DVD to them doctors up there in Detroit, they was like, what are they doing in Canada? Like we see this clear in this first DVD that something's going on right here and right here. Why didn't they tell you that? That's a malpractice. Yeah. They lied to you. So I told Barker and Ted that, uh, like, what, what the deal was. But I owed it to them not to, to sue them or not to do nothing or nothing. So I said, you know what? I don't even worry about it. I just want to play. You know what I'm saying? So then, so that's that's kind of where it's kind of stopped that. Like, okay, I just want to play. I don't care about all that. I don't want Remember, there was a lot of stuff going on off the field. Like, you were trying to practice. They didn't want you to practice. Yeah. Um, you were trying to run. They didn't want you to run. And there was this, wanted, like, I'm yeah. healthy, but you're not healthy. Yeah, it was a bunch of it was a bunch of like lies they were doing, trying to protect yourself and make it so that it was like I said, it was I got I got screwed over big time up there, uh, and and like I say, it's unfortunate, but you know you trust people. My dad told me a long time ago, and you probably heard it. You don't don't never expect nobody to do what you would do. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You're gonna be always you gonna always be hurt, and I, that was the problem. I thought that they was gonna always have my back and respect me because of the stuff I did for them. I turned on the NFL twice to stay there with them. Even though it was practice squad, they were just trying to bring me in for workouts. I still said no and came to the CFL and did this. I, I didn't do a grievance like everybody think I did. I didn't file a grievance. That's not how I was getting money. That's a different. That's something different. So I didn't file a grievance. But anyway, I was a man of my word. I said I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to do none of this. Bye, bye, bye. Try to get nothing because my auntie wanted me to do that real bad, and I didn't yeah. do it. So anyway, 2007 is over. Uh, 2008 comes. They keep me all the way up until the new coaching staff comes in. Now we got Huffnagel and all them. They don't know me like that. They don't care about me. So when they come in, two days before training camp, they cut me. I was like, well, you know, because your injury. You just had an injury and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we're we can't, we're not going to keep you on. You're not, I'm like, ain't this about to be? So I'm like, okay, cool. They said, well, recover, you know, and, and, you know, best of luck, basically. I talked to Barker and Ted. Ted and them was like, well, no, uh, you, you keep going and then just keep rehabbing. And when October come, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll, set, we'll have you come out and do another workout. Just be ready to kill it, you know, because they don't. They want to. They want to. They want to see you at your best. Yeah. And I said, fair enough. So, um, yeah, I get that that little payment, whatever money they want to give me, like a signing bonus or something like that. But I was off the team, or suspended, or whatever they want to call it, however they want to call me, um, on some whatever I was. So I was going up to the field. You see, I was still up there almost every day because yep. I was afterwards. I was doing my workouts on the field. So they saw me every day working on my track stuff, working on my stuff. Even though all y'all was gonna have to go like two or three hours after y'all left, so I'd be up there probably like four or five, and they'd still be there. They did, so they let me in and let me do my stuff, and I go on the field and just kill workouts, stadiums, all type of stuff. So they knew I was getting more and more ready. So by the time October came, I was already running a four three again. You know what I'm saying? After these three three surgeries, I was already running four three. I was rolling, and then I went out there and I killed the people they had me go against uh, in one on ones, and then um. Huffnagel said, dang, where was this guy at all season? Like, we should have been had him out here. Like, you know, and he had slipped up. He said something like, uh, we should have been had him on the field and stop hiding him in the whatever he said, hiding him in the doghouse, whatever he was saying. Like, we should have, you know, I was like, uh, you know, so I thought it was cool. I'm like, okay, Huffnagel, he, he might like me then, you know, because I just destroyed these little receivers he put up in front of me. So 
then uh, they had me practice a few times. Now, they wanted me to play that very first week I came back. And um, I think that they thought it wasn't fair to, like, Calvin Bannister and uh, yeah. Julian Battle and some of them and Keon Raymond. Because them, 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 was, them was my back. Like, they probably got good and stuff. But they were my backups at a, at a time. Yeah. So, um, I guess they, Keon, Keon was actually backing up. Um, Keon Bronner did play and, DB at first. He, he played DB at first, and then he moved to Sam because he was he's behind Brandon Isaac and Shannon James. Yeah, but when I well, when I was yeah there, when he first got there yeah he was a DB. yeah when he first got there he was playing halfback and corner and so yeah. and, and he was so he was behind us uh, so um so Brandon Smith was at the at, so it was moving all these guys around up there and uh so they wanted me to play them but it was like well it'd be fair to Calvin or you know Keon and all that stuff they called me in the office I talked to him I was like okay I said that's fine with me let me keep getting my reps in let me play receiver though on the scout team so I can just work on my running because I want to work on my win that's how I work my yeah. win out. Because at first, they didn't want me to play receiver. They wanted me to just focus on DB and watch what they was doing. But then they brought in a guy named Lenny Walls, who happened to be pretty good. Streets. So when they brought, yeah, so when they brought him in, they was like, oh, well, now we don't really have to rush their back because we have somebody. But what people don't know is, even if Lenny would have stayed healthy, when the, um, when the playoffs started, it was going to have me go over and play Brandon Smith's spot. I was going to play where Brandon Smith was at, and Brandon Smith was going to either back up or somewhere or, you know, however that was going to work. That's, that was the plan. But then Lenny got hurt, and it was like, yo. Day three. Huh? Yeah, so they're like, yo, you go and play the boundary halfback on the side of Brandon Browner. Can you get it? And I'm like, hey, yeah. They're like, we know you like man-to-man. That's what we're going to have you doing. Did you practice that day, that day three? Yeah. That was the first time that you would practice in the defense. Yeah, that was the first time. And it was – okay, so just so everybody knows um, – we break down our, our weeks in day one, day two, day three, and day four is a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, day five is the game. Uh, if we have any longer weeks, it's day A's, B's, and C's and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But so imagine you haven't played a game since, you know, 2007. Yeah. You've had surgeries. Yeah. You've grinded the whole time, the whole offseason. Everything, rehab, workout. I remember every – you couldn't even – like, your knee kept swelling up. And you kept yeah, having to yeah. go get work done. Yeah. Um, but day three, uh, we do a no-huddle drill, and it's live. I mean, there's no tackling yeah. or anything. Right. But it's like if we throw a pick on the first play, it's over. We throw a touchdown mm-hmm. on the first play, it's over. So it's the only thing that we do that's not scripted. Right. right? The only thing we do that's not scripted all week. And yep. we made a good drive on offense. And um, I enjoyed that time because, one, um, Jones was at the matchup defense. It was like basketball. Yep. It was five on five, 90% man. We're going to blitz a lot. Um, and Brandon Browner used to guard me every day at practice yep. because I was the bigger physical receiver, and that's what he had to get used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to go at it. He used to grab my face mask all the time. Yeah. I we were going to fight a couple times. But um, – <laughs> Ball thrown to the back of the end zones. Um, I don't remember if it was the Cope or what, but um, Lenny and Cope go up or Lenny and Ram go up, whoever it was, and Lenny comes down and messes his ankle up. Mm-hmm. They had to bring the card out for him. Yeah. And um, can you imagine? I mean, just for me on offense, I'm thinking, like, what are we going to do? Because it, you think CFL football, the boundary's not a very big place, right? But you right. got six four Lenny Walls at boundary halfback. You got six three Brandon Browner at boundary yeah. corner. 
like you can do whatever you want over there. It's hey, it's tall trees everywhere. Over Just there, tell right? you. That was so, it. Yeah. And and Dwayne Carpenter, I think, was playing Will Linebacker at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So, and he's a DB. He's a natural DB, natural safety. Natural DB. Yeah. Right. So you were able to move him around, do so much in zone over there when we did go zone and do some things. Yeah. Yeah. But then when Lenny goes down, I'm thinking like, what are we gonna do? What's going through your mind? They're like, Jr. Get in there. You become the boundary halfback. You're starting boundary halfback. You get half a and day three practice is only 16 plays after the live session. So there's not a lot of reps. Right. And I didn't and I didn't get the reps. And I'm gonna tell you why. Think about this real quick. Let me see if I can refresh your memory. When he first got hurt, they put Calvin Bannister over there. Mm. And Calvin Bannister played most most of them reps. And I guess the phone call has to go to the higher ups and say somebody got hurt. Yeah. Barker and Ted come storming down there and they're like, Lenny's hurt. And they're like, well, what you guys are doing? Coach Jones, uh, Barker, um, uh, Huffnagel, and Ted is in the corner arguing. And then they come out there argue. They come out there argument. Ted and Barker goes, remember where they stand at like 20 yard line. They go stand there. Jones, uh, I mean, uh, Huffnagel draws to the middle of the field. Jones draws past me and said, roughly, uh, get in there. And I said, huh? And he's like, yeah, you out there. Go play. You at boundary half. And I'm like, okay. I run back past there and tell, tell yes out to me, JR. And I look over there and he was like, I told you I had you. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I, and, and, and I just keep running. I give him a thumbs up and I keep running out there. And I guess he told them that I was the better talent than all the other people they had. They had Julian Battle. They had Keon. They had Calvin uh, Bannister. Um, I don't know who else they could have put over there. They could have switched some other stuff around, I guess. But yeah. he told them that to put me uh, out Smitty there. was playing uh, field half at the time. He was playing field at the time. Yeah. So, and then they was like, yeah, JR can do it. JR is the one. If you want man-to-man, he told them, if you want a man-to-man or something like that, you've seen what JR can do when he did his workout. Like, he's ready to do it. Let him do it. And, and they put me out there. And um, that's that's what happened. I'm like, shit, okay. Because in my head, it wasn't fair to Keon and, and Calvin Bannister that I didn't play. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And they tell you that because I said that. I said, no, no, no. They can play if they want to play. I like to suit up. They start messing up, put me in. And they said, no. Nah. You, you know what I'm saying? Jones was like, no. Nah. He told me. He said, they love you. He was like, go on out there. He'd tell you that. He was like, they love you. He was like, they love you, dog. And I was like, okay. And I went out there and I played. And I was nervous and shit because I'm like, oh, well, you put me over here in boundary. And then I'm like, uh, because the way Coach Jones played it, it was matchups, but it was man to man, but it was like if you go halfway over, then turn into a zone and you come back. I wasn't used to that stuff. Yeah. I never played that before ever in life. I was just used to the man to man. And he said, just play man, rough. He's like, just play. And I was and, like, okay, cool. And you followed G Roy all over the field. I just followed G Roy all over the field. Wherever he went, I tried to follow man, this field. G Roy is like, if you put rough on me tomorrow, I'm killing it. That's what he said the night before. Right. I said, man, I don't know. I said, <laughs> I said, he hungry. You know what I'm saying? You hey, you you know what I'm saying? There's a difference. There's different types. Like, yeah, we can walk through the full, uh, we can walk through the jungle if all the lions just ate. Right. But if they ain't just ate, uh-huh. we can't walk through that. Yeah, you ain't walking through that. You know what I'm that. saying? Right. Everything that you have been through. And then to start that game, we, we beat BC. Now we're going to Montreal to play Montreal in Montreal. First time in our great cup. You know, we've been through the struggles the years before. Everything that you've been through. 
to get to that Grey Cup game, you guard Ben Cahoon. I don't even think Ben had like a great game. I know he had a couple catches, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah, he had an okay game. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah, he had a couple catches, but like you said, it was running through everybody and trying to mix you up. So that's yeah. all he could really do. Um, I wasn't even supposed to guard him. They want they they wanted me to guard one of the taller guys, like a Este Green, one of them guys, you know, because I was taller. Yeah. yeah. And then, I, and then I told and I told Coach Jones, I was like, who you think going to have the – no, no, it was Coach Chamberlain at this time. I said, who you think going to probably – you know, who you think they're going to try to get the ball to the most, though? Who going to be the – you know what I'm saying? And he was like, I actually think Ben Cahoon. And I was like, well, I'll check him then. I was like, if you want me to check him, I'll check him. I said, he's he going to start off in the boundary anyway. I was like, so if, if that's the one you think going to get the most stuff, I'll check him. Coach Chamberlain was like – if you check Ben Calhoun, I think you're going to probably get the uh, MVP of the game. He said, because you're going to make some plays on it. And uh, he'll tell you that, too. He told me, too, in the room. He was like, they said, who's going to get MVP? Like, I picked you. He's probably going to get it. Because he thought that, uh, you know, I probably would have had some picks or some stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I, I, I was I went against him just like I went against G-Roy. It was, you know, it was still – I was a veteran now. So, I knew that they were good. So it wasn't no more cocky, Jr. Like, oh, they run four six. I run a four no, two. They not don't good. Matter. They great. They was great, right? So they I didn't great. have that in. So at this point, it wasn't in my. That wasn't in my head. Now it was in my head. Was dang, I drew these two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My, so that's I, like going all in, and you got a pair of twos. I'm telling you. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I don't even. Um, I don't even. Uh, if it well, you don't know. You didn't play defense, but I don't. I didn't like watching film. I used to, I used to watch. I know, man. I didn't like watching film, so I would just watch uh, like a series of. I just wanted to see how they run routes. Yeah. I was like, yo, let me get some film. Let me just see how they run routes, because that's all I cared about was if I could see how they run routes. Whenever he's going deep, he's he's standing up. Whenever he's going to uh, do a short route, he runs more low to the ground to give him more, uh, uh, so he can stop quicker. So that's all I cared about. Only person who didn't do that was Arlen Bruce. Like this, this stiff fucker ran the same way all the time. But um, it was hard to check him. Yeah, but everybody else, that's all I cared about. But for them for them two games, man, when I talk about me and Calvin used to sit there and watch film all day trying to figure out what G-Ray did, what he did this, or what he did that. Same thing with Calhoun. I just I watched more film those two games than I probably did my whole career playing football. Man, I tell you what, when the game was over and it and it hit zero, you remember the feeling? Like what's yeah. what's what's the what's the emotion in the feeling? Because I know what I feel like. Right, because uh-huh. I've always said it's like when you win a championship, it just validates all the trouble, all the pain, all the no's, all the everything that you went through that prepared you yeah. for that day, to for that to be that for you to win that championship. Yeah, I couldn't even cry after the game. I was so happy, and when I get when I finally got back to my room, because I didn't go out. Everybody went out and party. I didn't. I went back to my room. Uh, me and Calvin, we didn't even go out. We just went back to the room, watched movies, and chill. I was in the lobby and, with Dave Dickinson. Yeah, my my tears just going out my eyes. You know, what I'm saying I'm like, duh, I, I finally won a championship. I didn't get to the championship other than high school because I won in high school uh, state champion for tenth uh, grade year. But uh, other than that, I, I made it to bowl games in junior college. Always lost. I made it to, uh, you know, like track, track and field championships. Uh, I can have the fastest time. And then in the championship round, like right when I get to the finals, I mess around and come six for some reason. Like, so all the stuff that was happening with me getting there and not getting there, to me, it came full circle. I, you know, it's like I won. And I remember I was just sitting there talking to, I think I was talking to my auntie, the same auntie who told me um, she died now. But at this point, she had told me years before that, like, I told you to get cert, I mean, um, life insurance uh, policies on your knees, like Tina Turner. She got a million dollars on each leg. She told me that before I ever got hurt. I never did it, but she, I was talking to her. 
And she was like, you finally did it. I knew you was going to make it. I knew you was going to make it. Tears was going out of my face. Like like you said, it came full circle. Full circle. Finally won a championship at a high level. And and I was playing in it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, mm-hmm. I laid the team in tackles that game. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? I walked down the guy who was about to probably break an uh, 80-yard touchdown uh, at yeah, one point. I caught, you know, yeah, and I caught this fool on, on, on a hurt leg. Like, it was it, – it, it just came to me. I'm like, dang. You know what I'm saying? We won some stuff, and I was a part of it. I helped do it, so that, that was I, good I just, for me. I just think that's one of the greatest feats ever, man. Out of everything yeah. that I've seen in, in my 26 years of football, to step up in pressure situations and play out football, to not even play a regular season game that year, to come out and play two games against two Hall of Famers. First yeah, ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. Two of the yeah. greatest receivers ever played the game. Yeah. And played 90% man. Touchdown. Didn't give up a right. touchdown. Didn't give up nothing. So that was good. I, it, it, it was nerve-wracking, though, like I say, because you heard him talking all day. Yeah. Uh, it, they, they was talking, especially G-Ray. G-Ray was talking. And um, just to get the win, it was it, it was good for me. I was like, heck, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then you end up yeah, getting like another that. one in 2011. Yep. On his team that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. After that two was, years off, you didn't play 2009, 2010. Yeah. You come back 2011. Right. Yep. You know what happened? I was at I was I had did a football camp in BC with Rick Keller, yeah. And uh, and um, Mark Washington was there, and the kids were talking about running and racing and doing something. So I took off and I and I raced somebody and I beat him by a lot. It wasn't my fastest, but it was faster than people probably thought I was gonna run. And he was like, "Man, you can still run," and I was like, "Yeah, I still run." And he was like, "If you," he's like, "Uh, he's like, you still," he's like, "When you still re?" Because I had a brace on my leg. He said, "You still rehab?" And I'm saying, "Yeah." He said, "If you get back," he said, "If you get back healthy, I we'll bring you out to BC." And he was like, we were supposed to, he's like, we were supposed to trade for you in 07. They didn't trade for you. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he said, but he said, you get healthy. We, you can come back out to BC and play for me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to hold you to it. He was like, okay, cool. I started training that day. As soon as I left Kelowna, I started training back on my speed and ready to go again. And then they got me back out there and be, they took me to a, a workout. I did a workout in, um, in Vegas. My friend Trey Young had played for a team in Vegas. Yep. And um, he got me for a workout in Vegas. I went to the workout in Vegas. They had a guy named Roy Shivers. He was the scout for BC. He was yeah. out there and watched me. And he he called Wally and was like, dog, he out here making these guys look like kids. Uh, I was I did real good for my workout. I didn't run a fast 40 because it started uh helling ice balls down. So I ran like a four or five or something like that. But when the one-on-ones came, it got back sunny. And I was like destroying these boys. And he said, don't sign out here. He said, we got you in BC. And I said, for real? He was like, yeah. And, you know, he said some other stuff. He was like, just trust me. I get that. I got a phone call later on that day from uh, Wiley saying, "Like we're gonna bring you out here." They had a pri- they have their own private workouts, so they have a private workout out there. I think it was in April, or whenever it was. It was a private workout of their own that they always give that they only that they only give for like people out there and stuff like that. So it was a few of us out there. Uh, me, Jock, uh, Jock. What was Jock last name? Chapter Lane. The little the, no, the little black running back guy. Oh, that, um, was this Jock? Jock. Um, no. Jock White. Jock um, Sanders. Jock Sanders. Yeah. yeah, so it was me, Jock Sanders, um, uh, a couple other people out there. Paris, Paris came out there to watch. Um, uh, Sanchez came out there to watch. Uh, and, and me and Jock went out there, and we he had a good day on offense. I ran like a 4-3-2 or something like that uh, with them guys. And it was like, don't run no more. And I was like, I was only working on my speed. They brought me out there for that workout. Jock was doing good on offense. I was doing good, uh, doing good on defense. I picked up probably like three or four passes, luckily. I always say luckily because I know I don't be catching that good. And, uh, <laughs> I picked them, <laughs> I picked them muds off and broke up everything. The only person caught something on me, Jock caught like one bomb on me, and we both failed. 
And then that's when I, I kind of twisted my ankle. So I was like, I'm done for the day. And then they ended up bringing me up. They signed me. They wanted me to come up to the camp. Day before a training camp, they called the Stampeders, I guess. And that trainer ended up calling me back. And he said, hey, uh, we talked to the training staff from the Stampeders, and I trust those guys. They didn't think your knee was going to hold up. They thought that you would be good for a couple of days, but then your knee was going to swell up and blah, blah, blah. So we can't take you here. We can't pass you on the physical. And I'm like, what? So I tried to call Pat Clayton. He never answered the phone. I was pissed off. And I left it alone. I said, you know, it's bull crap, but it's okay. So later on that season, they had hurt. They had a bunch of injuries to their secondary. Uh, and then their final blow was um, they got they got um, uh, Stanley Franks got hurt. Yep. Stanley Franks got hurt against the Stampeders. Uh, yep. I remember when he got group. hurt. Rainbow yeah, caught so a touch, got, a post route on him. Yep. So he got hurt and tore his knee up. And when he tore his knee up, they needed more DBs. So they, they put these two DBs up there. I forgot one of them name, but they put them two in there, and they got killed the next week. And when they got killed, they brought in me. They tried to get – they called in Jerome Dennis, me, and Tad Cornegay. Jerome came first. I came second. Tad came after that. They brought me up there. I played uh, I played a couple – I played like two games up there. I ended up finishing the whole season. But I played two games. I did pretty good. But, of course, yeah, my knee started swelling up. I needed to get it drained and stuff. But I was still ready to go. But some behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't know – I don't even know if I should talk about it. But some behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't know is that when I got there, Hall of Fame career, too, by the way, um, they were going to cut Ryan Phillips. Mm. They was going to keep me in his spot had I been healthy, and they was going to get rid of him. He had had an injury to his leg as well, but he never got surgery, or they didn't know if it was, they didn't know if it was real or not. They was going to cut him, and they even asked Corey Banks, and if you ever talked to him, he'd tell you. They was like, they was wondering because they were saying he was pretty soft, you know, like tackling stuff, blah, blah, blah. They were saying a little stuff, and I'm like, well, shoot, I know I'm better than him. I can play, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm like, I, I don't need to be in a position to get an interception. You know, so I go get one or I go knock it down, you know, we was talking smack. And it was like, well, yeah, cause, you know, Ryan, ain't gonna, Ryan probably ain't going to finish the season here. And I'm like, well, here, you know, I, I can do it. I can play that spot. I don't mind playing that spot. It's like we're going to move Corey Banks back to halfback. We're going to put another guy at the sand. Because at that point, Corey was at Sam back. Yeah. They said, we're going to put Corey back at half. We're going to put this guy, Reddick, at Sam. And we're going to leave you at the field. And then, you know, you 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 will be a field with uh, with this other guy. And he's going to be over there. So I'm like, cool, i do that. Um, so then, so that that's that's how the lineup went. That they ended up cutting the other guy. I forgot who he was. They ended up cutting him, and I ended up playing field. And they put like, uh, and they put, um, they the put Sanchez Ryan Phillips. Or, yeah. No, no, they put, but they they moved Sanchez to safety. Yeah. They put Ryan Phillips at at at, at boundary. Uh, at I mean at field corner. And you know he ain't no field corner. He's better than the field corner, but he wasn't he wasn't doing good. I guess you know what I'm saying. And, um, you know, all the picks that he'd be having, you know, they were saying, uh, you know, some, most of the picks was coming to him, tipped up, coming to him. It wasn't like he was going to snatch them out like that, like being nobody up. A lot of passes was whatever, whatever. So I didn't really care what they were saying. I'm just like, you can give me whatever baloney you want to tell me about him. If you want me to play in this spot, just put me there. I'm playing. So they yeah. put me there, and then he's over there and all that stuff. Then, of course, you know, he ended up switched back lately because I got hurt. They put Tad in my spot, and they put me at the field corner because I was better than Jerome Dennis and a couple of them guys. And then that one game I got hurt, and they took me out of there. Um, uh, and I had to get surgery on both my knees, and I broke my arm that same game against uh, Edmonton. Yeah. So it, it was unfortunate, but I, I still sat on the team good enough. And um, uh, Wally Brown told me, you know, some stuff like, um, he, you know, I, after this season, it'll probably be my last season. They didn't owe it to me to keep me there like the Stampeders owed it to me. Yeah. He said, but Paris, Paris Jackson has the same injuries you got, and you see he's still here. He got hurt playing for us. He said, had you got hurt playing for us and with your skill set that you still have, we'd have kept you playing here too. 
and I, you know, I appreciate that, but I knew that it was, it was, it was going to be short lived, but he said, I keep you on the team. You know, I'm not going to cut you right before the championship. You don't get, you know, get a chance to, you know, with the glory with us. And we end up winning the championship and he kept me on there. So I appreciate him for that. Cause I still got a ring and stuff like that. Cause he easily could have cut me like, what's that week? Like, um, that week before when they can cut everybody, they still yeah. got rid of you. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't do That's it. Awesome. Yeah. So I appreciated yeah. that. But, I, but when I got there, I, I gave it a hundred percent there too. I went, I was the starter on a, I was a starter at halfback and I also played scout team. I played yeah. scout team receiver. So I played, uh, I played, I started off being a, a starting uh, DB and then I went over there and I played um, a scout team for our receivers. And I did that until I wasn't a starter and because of the injuries. And when I even went with my injury before my brother was killed, I was still going out there with, with my, uh, with my broke arm, with the thing on playing DB for them guys. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, uh, for the scout team, just to make sure that they still had good looks. They didn't have a lot of people. They was, they was at that time, they was working on more having defensive linemen. They wanted like, they wanted a bunch of D linemen to play and less DBs. That's what they were doing. Yeah. I was talking to RP about his tackling the other day when he was on the podcast. Oh, he yeah. came in, when he first came in, he was hitting. And then he, you know, then he backed off a little bit, but I think he's a first ballot hall of famer too. With seven picks, he's uh, yeah, me too. He's one of the smartest DBs I've ever him, Tech Cornegay. Man, them dudes Mm -hmm. are super smart when it comes to defense. I got to, I got to play on a team, especially when it comes to zone. Tad is like, I even told him that I'm like, dog, you're terrible in man to man. I'm like, but you probably one of the best people I've seen playing zone. Uh, but the best overall zone in man to man, I I don't think nobody was ever better than Corey Banks. Yeah, Corey's nice. I I watched this dude, I, I seen him rearrange our defense like every week he found the hole or found something defense they had to change that they didn't see. And I never saw nobody do that before. Mm. Like, he'd be in there. He, 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 he never even talked during the meetings unless he cracked some dumbass joke. And he'd be sitting there looking at the stuff. And then later on, he'd just raise his hand. Okay, Coach, so somebody did this, they did that. And then he was right here. Who got him? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah. And he's like, that's all. And I'm looking like, duh. This <laughs> and then it, so when people was arguing, because uh, I heard <laughs> Arsenal was arguing with Dante Marshall at one point. I mean, yeah, with Marshall at one point, and he said all you was was a person who benefited off Corey being good. Who knows if that's true or not, but I can understand it because yeah. I was on the field with him when he when I was at halfback and Corey was at sandbacker on my side uh, before they moved Ryan out because they had Ryan playing uh, the boundary half at first, Ryan yeah. and Mark, and then Corey was on my side. Corey would tell you, he watches film and he knows enough, he would tell you where to go. He'd be like, yo, they got this, so you just hold the flash or go in the deep. Or I got this, you got that. He do that with Dante the whole time. Yeah. And he and and I seen him while I watched him cuss Dante out all game. Like, and but they still somebody end up one of them get a pick, one of them do this and do that. Like it happens. But that's the whole game. He'd be like, Oh, you go back to here right here. Even if the play is totally different, he sees something, he switches the defense like Tom Brady do. And I see him do that all the time. And I was like, Yeah. So if ever if ever somebody ever argue and say that that Marsh was just, you know, he, he, he was a product of Dante, uh, I mean, of, of Corey Banks. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't blame him for saying that. Even though Dante make his own plays and he's a beast in his own mind, but I can see why they would say that because yeah. he even did that when I was out there. He'd be, I'd be like, dog, but we got such and such. She'd be like, just go and do that da, da, da. All right, cool. And you Corey's do it. Corey's an animal, man. Corey's an yeah, animal. Yeah, he was, that and guy's a beast. Even when he was in Ottawa, before you got there, he was 90% man. And then he started playing zone. I had a, I, I think I had 180 against Corey, man to man. We playing a lot of man to man. He was like, "You got me today." It was 2006, five or six, I think five probably. And you know, people always ask me like, "Who's the best person?" I went up against him. Like, 
I think the best DB, me personally, I think is Brandon Smith. Mm-hmm. I think Smitty, tech, technical-wise, guarding the best receivers on other teams 90% of the time, a lot of man-to-mans and then things like that. Um, Smitty just didn't have the picks and the numbers. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at the receivers, I mean, there was one year, 90% man, and he gave up two 300-yard games in the whole season. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think Fred Stamps had two of them. Right. right. So then yeah. – I, I, but then Corey Banks is right there. I think mm-hmm. he's just another outstanding dude because of his talent, man. He's super talented. And people I, always ask me, like, I was like, look, I think Corey's, I think Corey's talented. And I said, um, I had my best games against Corey, but I think I had my best preparation for the games against Corey because I knew how good, I knew how great mm-hmm. I had to be. Right. I knew I couldn't right. just bullshit practice. I knew I couldn't, I knew I had to be great on that day because I knew who I was going up against. Right. So mm-hmm. my preparation was maxed out to go against Corey. And I think that's why I had my best performances. Yeah, those are some good picks. Um I can I, I can see how you can say those too. And I and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue those because I like I like this me too. Uh so I can I won't say that. I, I think I was better than both. I just got hurt. But um yeah. Well see I, that's I what I was think... gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you like looking back on your career, how do you view it because it was cut short because of the injury. You know you won two great cups but it's just I feel like Bo Jackson Mm. I feel like I feel like when people say my name, they be like, "Yeah, JRF, and I know him." But dang, what did he do? What what he was a kick? He was a fat. That's what they are gonna say. He's a kick returner, the fast guy. Because I was a blur. I was like so high in like two years, oh six, oh seven, and everybody knew who I was. To then it started dwindling down, and and because I, I was good, I, and that I oh, was you good. Was. Yeah. yeah, and I and I and I think my I didn't give up. I gave up one touchdown that whole year to Arlen Bruce in oh six, um, and I didn't give up a hundred yard game to nobody. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That whole season, and and I, I I was good. I just think that my my career was taken from me from, by injury, and by doctors like trying to rush you back or not give you the right thing. And I think and that that was always sad to me. That's why I hung around so long. You know how much you know how it took me to stay away from the game. Like I I was gonna keep trying to come back. I I, I got signed by Montreal in 2013. People didn't know that, and they end up and I made the team. And then uh, me and uh me and um Jackson uh. Uh, Jackson from uh, the kick returner. Uh, what's his name? Marti? No, not Martise. Uh, Tristan. Tristan Jackson. We both went out there. We both made the team, and he turned it down because he didn't want to uh, start off at the practice squad. And they called me the next morning and was like, "Well, your injuries." And I don't know who they talked to about that. And then they, but they they was gonna pick me up too, and I killed their workout. Ran a four three there. I was doing good, and then they was just like, "My knee did swell up, and if I had to go to camp the next day, I wouldn't have been able to do it because it was swollen." I was prepared to go to a clinic and get my knee drained the day that that next day to make sure I could run some more. Cause that's what I was doing. People didn't know that. that's what I was doing on low. I had a certain, I had a chiropractor doctor on like 12th street in Calgary that before every game, even BC, I was flying back home, getting my knees drained and getting that prolotherapy done and then going back out there. So I was getting that done to prepare myself. I didn't know how to deal with not playing football. Yeah. I, all I knew was football playing. So I was going to do everything I could to play. So, so yeah. So when I got hurt in 2006, it, it killed me because it killed me in 2008 more because um, I was like, damn, I went from – I wanted to be the best player. I, and I knew I was going to be a real good DB. And I was like, I was one of the better runs. Towards the end of that year, there was somebody was saying who was a better DB. Somebody said, A. Davis, Corey Banks, and J.R. Ruffin. And I was like, these guys been in been there years already. And they put me in a uh, halfback category with these guys. So yeah. I loved that. And I, and I just knew I was – I knew I was good. And I went against the better receivers. And I know I'm biased, but I always say I think my receiving core 
as a whole was better than any receivers that you can that you can name. I don't think nobody was better than Nick. I don't think nobody was better than Cope. I don't think nobody was better than Rambo. Like yeah. I, and a lot and at that, that point, Elijah Thurman was a beast. Yeah, he so, was. I, and I was like, um, I went against the best. So when they say who who was the best receivers, I named them for. I didn't see like G. Roy Simon and Tucker. They they wasn't that good to me. You know what I'm saying? They end up being good, but they wasn't good when I played against them. They, you know what I mean? That was just that. I I was gonna kill them if they went against me. That was that. I, Paris Jackson wasn't gonna do nothing against me. It was over. So that's what I looked at. Um, Terrence Evers was good in in Arland, but like yeah. as far as everybody else, I didn't I didn't see nobody else. I was like, nah, they wasn't good. So I I was prepping for that. So it just hurt me like heck that I never could recover from something because uh, Brandon Smith had tore his ACL in and he came back. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like. You got somebody, I got a, y'all telling me that my my injury was just this, and he got a whole ACL tear, and he come back, you know what I'm saying? But I can't recover from a, a dislocated or whatever y'all said it was. Like, that hurt me. And I, I didn't know, I, I, I went through a bunch of stuff trying to figure out life after that, even yeah. when I was sick in the hospital. Like, it was, I didn't, it was, I, I think it was stress or depression. I don't know, in 2012, when I was in the hospital for those months. But. It was hard, you know what I'm saying? Like getting injured at the knowing and trying and trying to your best to be the best, and you just get hurt. And that's what that will take you out like that. Yeah, nah. that's that that, that's shitty, you know. Yeah, because I I seen you on a daily basis, man. You know what I'm saying? Especially mm-hmm. when I was young and um, yep. you never drank. Yeah, playing basketball. Oh, that's what killed me the most. I used to think that in my head about like. I didn't want to blame God, but I'm like, you got people out here who smoke, drink, do drugs, go to the clubs all the time. I don't do none of this crap, and I'm hurt. Yeah. That y'all took that. Y'all took my, you know, like my career was taking. You did every. Me. You felt like you did everything you could to be the best yeah. you could. You I didn't did everything drink. Right. You didn't mm-hmm. do. You didn't do no drugs. You didn't do anything. You right. didn't go out and party. You took right. care of yourself. Yeah. All I did was train. That's it. That's all I did. So I did the, two trains a day. So to close this out, because uh-huh. I think this is very important. Mm-hmm. Everything that you've been through in your life to get you to where you are today with the mentality and the mindset you have. Mm-hmm. For the people that listen to this, that go through their own struggles or want to blame others or want to, um, that can't figure out a way to overcome all the hurdles. Like we, we've constantly talked about different obstacles, right? So the knee, the mm-hmm. knee, the knee. Uh, the trouble in the past when you were a kid, everything has always been an obstacle for you to try to overcome. How did you get through it? And how are you able to be, just when you were talking earlier, one of the greatest cops, I think, because the mentality and what you do? I think because I took everything as a challenge to myself and to try to be better. Like I always was like, okay, well, I can't do this. I'm going to be the best this, or I can't do this. I'm going to be the best that. And I think me trying to challenge myself that whatever I went to next, I was going to be the best. I think that helped me a lot because it just kept me competitive. And I said, you you have to find something that's competitive or try to make whatever you're doing competitive. And that's what I did. Um, they have uh, so when I decided to become a police officer, I didn't know that they had a lot of tests and standards in the police academy and stuff to go through. Right. Um, so it reminded me of football. You got to train hard. You got to go try to be better than the next person. You got to be better than the next person. If they're better than you, then what you have to do? Now I'm going to go figure out a way to be better than that person. And um, so, so getting through injuries, getting through all that stuff, that's what I said. I said, well, I'm still be the best. I'm still keep my – I'm going to keep it in my head that I'm the best. So if somebody said, yeah. oh, you ain't playing no more. I said, well, I can still beat you. 
oh, well, you can't do this, but I can still do this. Remember I started playing rugby in 2013? Yeah, I mean, Made it all the way to top-tier rugby level. I almost went pro in New Zealand, and then I broke my ankle, right? So yeah. I was going to continue to go try to be the best at something. And police academy came. They got a work sample test battery where you got to do a dummy drag, two wall jumps, 99-yard obstacle course, and a 500-yard dash. I got the overall California record for overall points with a 659. You know what I'm saying? I got the 99 yard obstacle course record with a 13.2. So no matter what I was gonna do, uh, the dummy drag record, uh, 2.7 seconds for uh, 30 yards, I think, or I mean, uh, 30 30 steps, 30 uh, uh, feet, and um, so or was it 40 feet? One of them. But like, so I'm just gonna try to compete. So since I was so competitive, that's all I wanted to ever do is I was gonna try to be competitive for everywhere I go, and that was gonna make me successful. So anybody else who's dealing with stuff, just compete with yourself. Say, well, I'm gonna be better than that. People say, yeah. I can't do this. I'm going to go try and do it. People say, I'm too small. I'm going to go show them. Yeah, so just keep competing. And I think that's the best thing to do, no matter what it is. Your podcast, you want to be the, you know, you want to have a better podcast. Keep competing. What can I do better at this? What can I do better at that? Keep bringing on great guests like you, brother. Yeah, that's it. I, that's that's it. it. It's not about me. It's about you, man. It's, you know, I, I tell you this, it's been awesome to sit here and listen to you talk. I hope, I hope you got a good trip down memory lane because there's so much that you've done, man, that you should be so proud of yourself. I mean, it's something that you can definitely inspire your kids that you can say, look, mm -hmm. it's not a perfect path. It's not an easy way, but this is what dad went through. Yeah. Right? This is where dad is. There are obstacles in life. There are hurdles in life, but I made it. And I continue yeah. to get better, and I continue to compete with myself to be the best that I can be. And I've always said competition is the number one thing you can have in life. Yeah, you gotta, some people, some people wilt with competition. They don't want the competition. I love it. I thrive yeah. off of it. That's what yeah. I need. I need you to be at your Go best ahead. so I can be at my best, right? Exactly. I want to help you be better so I can be better. Mm -hmm. and, and, that's the, and that's just the mentality and that's the mindset. Well, you know, we, we got two hours in, man. I appreciate you. You know. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it, dog. Hey, it's people always good. say, like, do people actually listen for the whole two hours? Well, if they're listening to this, they will. <laughs> right when you when you're listening to something that's been so beneficial from the way that your viewpoints on the law on education on your football career over all the hurdles that you've been through man i just think it's amazing yeah. I, you know what i'm proud to call you my friend my brother you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. it's it's just awesome to to know that we have someone like you that can just going to make a difference in so many people's lives yep i appreciate yeah, I your appreciate service it. brother I appreciate that. This is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Oh, wait a second before we go. Oh, yeah. Social media. How people keep up with you on social media if they want to follow you and stuff? Uh, I really don't. I Social media is a little different one. Uh, I know on like my uh, Facebook is uh, Vandal Pride. And I think on my Instagram is like two period uh, maybe yeah buddy dot dot eight. But the thing about it, I don't follow a lot of people because it is social media and I'm a police officer. So a lot of people, you know, they, they take that stuff the wrong way. So I try not to, to do the social media thing like that, except the friends that I already had because, um, you know, too many people hack stuff and do stuff and do crap. So I kind of stay away from that. But if you, but you look up J.R. Ruffin and one of them will pop up and then you can, you know, you can, uh, they can search it. What is a vandal? That was a uh, Idaho's mascot. I know, and, but uh, what is a vandal? Oh, the vandals used to go and terrorize, um, they used to go terrorize the cities back then and steal them. <laughs> so, so you were a vandal that became I a, was vandal. a vandal. <laughs> there you go, John. <laughs>
I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. I can't wait to re-listen to this again. I appreciate you coming on, brother. Hope you have a wonderful day. Get better. Get healthy. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Stay blessed, though. And we out. All right, peace.